This week on Geek Explained, part three of X May features the return of Matt Draper to answer a simple question. What is the most important comic book event in X Men history? Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is part three of X May, the month long series where May is dedicated to Marvel's Merry Mutants. After we had part one with the introduction to X Men, part two featuring the top 10 episodes of the X Men the Animated Series, part three features the return of special guest Matt Draper to give a retrospective on X Men comic book events and discuss what each of us thinks is the most important event in the X-Men comic book history, and our answers may surprise you. We also have, of course, this week's comics countdown, talking about all the comics that you should be checking out this week. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. Alright guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No film news this week, so we're going to dive right into TV news. Uh, really one piece of TV news that I want to talk about, Superman and Lois is back this week. That's right, Superman and Lois is returning with episode number six. Uh, by the time that you listen to this, it'll already have been out because the show is dropping every Tuesday, but I am very excited to finally be back with this show. The hiatus has been long, and no disrespect to Supergirl, but Superman Lowe's is where it's at. I really dig this. I really love what they've been doing with the show so far, and I cannot wait to see where they go with this show next. So make sure you tune in. It's a good show. It's real good stuff. Uh, hopping on over to uh, miscellaneous news, two pieces of miscellaneous news that I want to talk about, two kind of big pieces of miscellaneous news first off on the uh, DC side of things are really all of Warner Media which is important because if you're a fan of uh, Warner Brothers HBO all of that stuff this news is important and it is for you because we found out that over the past weekend AT&T has officially sold Warner Media that's Everything that Warner Media deals with, we're talking DC films, we're talking legendary films, we're talking the Monsters franchise, we're talking HBO Max, all of that stuff has been sold to Discovery. Now, Discovery owns stuff like HGTV, Food Network, stuff like that. So it is um, kind of baffling, you know, because I, I believe the AT&T Warner merger was like three years ago, and they were very excited about it when it was first announced, but... Here we are just a couple, you know, just a couple of years later and they, I guess, got bored. I guess they didn't want to deal with that anymore. So they are offloading Warner Media to Discovery. Hopefully this means that we will get more um, 
focused attention to it because AT&T is still dealing with all the crippling debt that they're going through. So uh, we'll see. We'll just have to see what happens. Who knows what is going to go on there. But in more exciting news, we had a cast announcement for Marvel's Wastelanders Old Man Star-Lord. That's right. If you didn't know, Marvel is putting together uh podcast narrative podcast to kind of adapt the wastelanders so that's old man hawkeye old man logan old man star lord obviously i haven't i don't know anything about you know whether they're going forward with uh hawkeye and logan but we know that star lord is going to be kicking things off and we have a cast uh so playing the Title role of the old man Peter Quill himself, we have Timothy Bustfield, who was in The West Wing and For Life. Uh, We have Chris Elliott from Schitt's Creek as Rocket. Uh, Nadine Maloof, who was in uh, High Fidelity and The Looming Tower as Korra. Patrick Page uh, from Hadestown as Craven the Hunter. Vanessa Williams, you know who Vanessa Williams is, as Emma Frost. And Danny Glover of Lethal Weapon in the Color Purple fame as Red. So we don't really know exactly what what this is going to entail. The breakdown for the synopsis reads as thus... Marvel's Wastelanders Old Man Star-Lord is a story that throws you right into the action, antics, and danger that fans of Star-Lord and Rocket know to expect, and the writers, cast, and crew did not hold back. We couldn't be prouder of how this story came together. This series is just the first chapter of our larger Marvel's Wastelanders plans with Sirius XM, and Peter's... Peter Quill's story is only the tip of the iceberg for our new Marvel audio universe. We can't wait to share what's next with you all. That was an announcement from Stephen Wacker, Vice President and Head of Content at Marvel New Media. Um, I think this is cool. I don't... I'm very interested to see what they're going to do with this, whether they're going to adapt it one for one or not. They dropped an official trailer on YouTube, so you can go check that out if you're interested. Um, I am... I'm cautiously optimistic about this. I really, I want this to be good. I want this to be, uh, I want to get more stories like this. I enjoy stuff like this. I know that um, narrative podcasts, you know, they're a dime a dozen at this point, but I have really, really dug the Wolverine podcasts, and I hope that this is up to that kind of quality. And I really enjoyed Old Man Star-Lord. It was a weird story, but I really enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to this. Should be a good time. Keep your eye out for it. I believe it's dropping on June 1st. And then finally, hopping over to comic book news, a big piece of comic book news. Uh, we've known for a little while now that Ta-Nehisi Coates' run on Black Panther was coming to an end very soon. And we didn't really get any kind of... Um, announcement on what is next for the character when it comes to the world of comic books well we found out on tuesday that a new black panther series will be dropping in august helmed by john ridley and juan cabal john ridley on writing duties juan cabal on art obviously i am over the moon about this they released a big old alex ross you know wraparound cover to announce the uh the incoming run very excited about this john really 
I am glad we're getting more John Ridley. What little that I've gotten from him when it comes to the world of comic books, I've really enjoyed. And his writing style is all is always very dynamic. I love, I love, 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 love his writing style, uh, whether it's comics or in film. And I'm very excited to see what he does with Black Panther. And Juan Cabal is a freaking incredible artist. So this is going to be a really good time. Looking forward to this for sure. But that is going to wrap up this week's news. And speaking of Marvel Comics, we're going to roll right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, which is part three of X-May featuring returning guest Matt Draper as we discuss what is the most important X-Men event ever. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to part three of X-May. You know, X, at this point, you get it. You get it, X-May, X-Men, yeah. So we've talked about entry-level comics. Part one was entry-level comics. Part two, we talked about one of the most iconic pieces of X-Men media, which is the animated series. Part three is something a little different. Part three is heading back into the world of the comics and talking about what is the most important X-Men event. And when you talk about important comics, when you talk about comics that really mean something and comics that change the course of the history of these fictional characters that we know and love, you got to bring in an expert. You got to bring in somebody who knows his stuff. You got to bring in somebody who knows his comics. You got to bring in somebody who's willing to argue and tell you you're wrong. So joining me this week <laughs> is the one and only, the only person in the world who's never heard of Daredevil. It's Matt Draper. No, I, I'd never heard of Daredevil, but I, but could you explain uh, X May again? What what is this? The, so basically, is May okay, is so, X? so so so, so the, the idea is so uh -huh. I, I figure um, it's actually ten May is the oh ten of May actually yeah ten of May you get they're it. all coming out on May tenth <laughs> yes oh yes, that's they're great all I'm dropping all these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> what a choice for your your podcast algorithm do podcasts have algorithms i don't even know yeah, you I know they do we live and, in youtube world it, it's way more wild west out here on on the podcast front i believe we're, it we're all just like shooting at each other and robbing each other of our listeners as we go along but um <laughs> but i'm i'm excited to have you back on the podcast man Welcome I'm, back. I'm excited to be back too thank you for having me i whenever i say at the end of every podcast feel free to have me back whenever i really do mean it and I think you're finally starting to catch on. I uh, am. I am. I've been, you know, mulling mulling it over for a while. I'm like, ah, he mm -hmm. said he really wanted to come back. And I mean, we talked about some stuff last time. He he seems to enjoy it. So unless he's <laughs> like just being really polite, I figure it, it'd be good to bring you back on. And what better time than to talk about the X-Men? The X-Men, all those dirty, stinking muties, you know. <laughs> They, they just keep, no matter what I do, they just keep seeming to survive, uh, you know, but <laughs> you, you people keep like building them. those sentinels. And I don't know what throwing what's them going on. Well, my materials aren't very good. They're mostly plastic and cardboard. Um, there's really expensive to build sentinels, which are like a hundred feet tall out of like steel. 
yeah. So I'm cutting corners, but um, I figure if I enough number of them, you know, we'll get one. We'll get like a like an Artie or a leech, probably. You know, <laughs> I figure they might be easy enough to uh, to take out. You'll you'll get Toad while he's sleeping. That's oh yeah. That's gonna be that's gonna be the sleeping. big the big win that we're waiting for for the Draper class Sentinels. <laughs> Draper class. Like how many, no, class, how many classes of Sentinels have there been? A dozen. Too many. Too many. You know, well, it used to be like one class of Sentinels every like five years. Yeah. And then in the last 20 years, it's like every year is like, oh, it's another new form of Sentinel. We're just throwing them at more, 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 more. Well, I think it's it's they realized that they peaked at Nimrod and they were they basically did. like, oh, my God, now we got to go the Pokemon route and just get ones that look cool. <laughs> they don't serve any purpose. We just got to fill out the Pokedex of Sentinels. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I, I love that. Nimrod, uh, someone that I never really cared about until uh, Powers of Ten. Agreed. You know? And then they did this, and then Hickman did this really like funny Nimrod, funny and horrifying Nimrod. <laughs> I love like, like sitcom dad Nimrod. Yes, it's a it's a it's such a swing, but it, it really works. Agreed. Um, well, Matt yeah. has made it very clear that he is uh, he's a big X Men hater, a big mutant hater, strongly anti mutant. He actually, re, legit story, I when I asked Matt to be part of this, I was like, hey, man, I gave him this big pitch, like, hey, this is X-May, this is what, or 10 of May, as we've revealed here in this episode. We're three episodes in, and I'm just now revealing the real title to you. Um, and he legitimately sent me, <laughs> sent me this gift that's just mutants, bosh, flimshaw. And I was like, <laughs> you know, we, we've talked a lot about, like, Daredevil, and like Superman, we've never talked about X Men. Does he does he feel this way? And I, there was a real moment where I was like, I guess I got to pencil somebody else in for the minute. <laughs> it's a bit. It's a bit, Eric. This is an exclusive. It's, it's, it's all a bit. I have running bits. I don't really. I don't actually hate Cyclops or Professor X. That's okay. A wait, bit. wait, 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 wait. Can you say that one more time? I don't. I don't actually hate Cyclops or Professor X. It's a bit. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> I, actually... I don't actually hate the X-Men. It's a bit, it, it's fine. It's, it, I'm trying to build my mythology here. You know, other YouTubers you, you have... have lore, you know, and I'm really far behind. Well, but this is like, this is like the supplemental material. The podcast is where we deconstruct the myth of Matt Draper. Mm -hmm. This is, this where is you... kayfabe. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is kayfabe. Yeah. Th th this is, uh, this is sitting in the back right before your, uh, your music hits. And we're like, Hey, let's do a podcast and talk about how Vince McMahon cheated you out of a $400 billion contract. Vince McMahon did cheat me out of a $400 billion contract. I was supposed to be the one, two, three kid. I knew it. I knew yeah. it. You came on here looking like X-Pac. I knew it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I don't want to look like X-Pac. Oh. This, this is now turned into a wrestling podcast. I'm sorry for yes. everyone who is mm -hmm. uh, about to hear how we call uh, WrestleMania 17 the most important X-Men event. But it was. It really it was. It was. Austin turning heel. I, I mean, mean it, what? What more what could else? you ask for? Exactly. Of course, McMahon was funding the Sentinel program. Who else would have that kind of disposable income? <laughs> he, you know, he would, even though I, I strongly don't believe that McMahon actually has a lot of disposable income. Like, it's he's not very liquid. I don't no. think McMahon is very liquid. Uh, <laughs> That that's what that's why they have to you know hire people and then fire them in like mass droves to like mm -hmm. make sure that he gets money back. Poor Samoa Joe. Yeah. Poor Samoa. Mm. Moment of silence for, 
for mm-hmm. the homie Samoa Joe. Mm-hmm. That was that was the most surprising one, to be honest, yeah. out of yeah. that whole group. Mm-hmm. Like I was surprised about Billy Kane, Peyton Royce. I know they've been doing nothing for them, but like <laughs> they were a good act, and yeah. Billy was starting to get a character. <laughs> well, never, never discount. We should probably stop talking about wrestling, but never <laughs> discount the WWE's ability to waste great talent to saddle Agreed. them with a with a terrible gimmick and bad creative, and not know how to like use their heat um and to just spoil that can we get a cm punk chant started i hear it i hear oh, it off in the distance yeah you're gonna you're gonna put that in right? I'm, okay. I'm gonna i'm gonna put that in post i'm gonna pipe it <laughs> um <laughs> bet you didn't think this was gonna be a wrestling podcast but podcast here we are off, off the rails and what is sure to be a very <laughs> off the rails so oh you have no idea um so getting into it i asked i've asked everybody this question so far and i want to ask you matt how did you get into the x-men how were you introduced to the characters Mm, yeah for sure i'm sure i'm not alone in saying that x-men the animated series was my first in so um you know when i was growing up uh in the 90s um because i'm surprisingly old um the uh you know it was like spider-man x-men the animated series uh, uh, batman the animated series who ran the animated series were like the big four yeah. Um, and I think I love Batman the Animated Series the most, which is probably not surprising. Um, and but I think X Men the Animated Series was like second for me, and that was like a total soap opera, which is perfect because the X Men is the comic is a soap opera, especially yeah. under like Chris Claremont or something, you know, is re- which is who they're really pulling from uh, is very soapy. Um, and the whole because because Batman was was the episodic thing. Right. You know, you could just pop in and out and th- those episodes could be rearranged in basically any order as long as you know, maybe in the same season. Uh, and they were. And they were the, on, often. On, often premiered and syndication just threw them around. But the X-Men uh, animated series especially was like this ongoing storyline. And I, I think that was like the first time I really got into like serialization in, in a story. Um, so I got, I really bought in i had i don't even know where we got it but we had the 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 premiere like hour-long pilot episode yes on vhs like there was a special vhs of it that was um that was made and and we had it and i watched that a lot and of course i watched it on was it was it kids wb or fox kids i don't even remember fox kids it was fox kids okay which was also um gosh i'm mixing up uh, don't don't worry all, about my bona fides yeah uh but yeah so that that was you know that's really what got me into it and then um the first comic that i remember getting was uh marvel versus dc you know that cross that crossover event yeah. comic in the in the 90s it led to uh, uh, my, amalgam i believe the uh Mal- oh the what the the, the amalgam Oh, amalgam! I thought, Mal- I thought you said Malcolm. I thought you said Malcolm. Yeah, that that obviously led to the big Malcolm in the Middle crossover. Oh, great! Yeah, Hal uh, fought Wolverine barehanded. Um, that would be a toss-up. Yeah, I, yeah, for sure. Um, and that was like the first like real comic that I remember buying. My dad bought them for me, and like he'd come home. He it was very nice to my dad. He would like swing by the comic book store like every so often, try and check in on that because like we bought it oh, one time oh. offhand, and he he bought them all for me and brought them home, and that's. So that's like my X-Men intro and my comic intro. And then the Marvel versus DC had a lot of X-Men characters in it. And that's how I got really interested in X-Men. And so I think that uh, X-Men was actually, when I really started buying comics was like early 2000s. 
um, when I actually was like, I'm going to go to the comic book store every week and start buying comics was like early 2000s, which was um, uh, Grant Morrison's new X-Men was going on around that time. But I started collecting just maybe a year before. It was, oh, again, the, the X-Men movie, the live yeah. action movie was what fully pushed me into comics because I was already an X-Men fan from the animated series and all that. And the movie comes out and that pushes me into buying comics and I start buying a lot of X-Men comics. So X-Men comics are actually the first real series that I started faithfully collecting. Right. Um, which uh, I, I did for a while. And that was, that was what revolution. Do you remember revolution? Like that time period? <laughs> yes. Yeah. When they brought back Chris Claremont and they were kind of all went incredibly place. well for everyone. Yeah. Involved. <laughs> it was what it was a totally whatever thing. The Wolverine was good during that. Oh yeah. Wolverine was good. Um, Blood debt was like the, the big like revolution Wolverine comic. And then I got into yeah, yeah, I got to. Yeah, <laughs> I okay. I have a guilty pleasure with the twelve. Okay, the, the twelve t- is an awful story, but like I really enjoy that that comic. It's bad. It's it's the one where they bond. Apoc- for those of you who oh, aren't yeah. familiar with it, it's the one where Apocalypse oh, bonds gosh. with Cyclops and becomes the most nineties looking character you've as, ever seen in your entire life. As a kid, I was like, "Oh, this is crazy!" And then when you look back, and you're like, "That was nothing." Um, <laughs> and so. Which I think is going to be a recurring theme when we talk about these X Men events, probably. Um, and so uh, you know, you get into that, and the new X Men around that time, and then um, uh, next to new X Men was a uh, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on it? The worst astonishing. X- was astonishing was after yeah, was but after the one, new X Men, but the uncanny that was concurrent with new X Men was uh, what, yes. what's his name? The worst um, X Men comic ever. Why am I blanking on it? You know, I. Worst oh my God. X-Men comic ever. He's going to Google it and it's going to come right it's up. It's going to come right up. It's going to not worst, not worst X-Man ever. That's no, <laughs> uh, that's, that is a separate, not as bad comic. Right. I, I haven't read it. Chuck Austin, Chuck Austin. That's right. Who was the inker, you know, for a lot of Claremont and Byrne. And then they're like, writer. he's, he's been with those guys. He knows yeah. what he's doing. And then he took over uncanny and it was terrible, but I was reading those. Cause I was still too young to be like, Oh, it's bad. I can just stop reading. <laughs> Which is what I do now is like, well, this stinks. I'm not going to read this anymore. <laughs> you know, there's plenty of other things to do in my life. It's character not development. Just, not just comics. There's just literally other things I can do. Um, but there was that, it was like, wow, new X-Men, Grant Morrison. This is amazing. Chuck Austin, uncanny. This sucks, but I'm still going to buy them both for some reason. But that was, that was, that was kind of when I was like really into X-Men comics. And then I kind of faded and I kind of stopped collecting for a while and I got back in. But when I got back into to comics, I didn't get as back into X-Men as I did with other stuff. So that's kind of my X-Men origin. Uh, Eric, I'm sure you've, you've said your origin a few times now. but I, I actually haven't. Okay, I've mentioned I'd like, I'd it like in other episodes. But um, I was actually uh, introduced. I had a couple different introductions. My, uh, my dad was a big X-Men comics collector mm. uh, when I was... A little kid he still has the short boxes with all of like um he's got like executioner's song and like mm-hmm. the full like the the entire event of <laughs> age of apocalypse in single issue oh nice it's incredible like wow. and so i had a cursory knowledge or at least like okay i can I recognize these characters but i was introduced to the characters as themselves in what is possibly the greatest X-Men animated anything 
Pride of the X-Men. Pride of the X-Men <laughs> is unabashedly one of my favorite X-Men things ever. Oh, and nice. it's it's not good, but it's like I I love it. It's got all of the Claremont era designs. It's got Kitty Pride. You know, this spawned the whole, you know, welcome to die with Magneto. <laughs> um, you've got Australian Wolverine. Like, what is there yeah. not to love about the and the banger theme song? Like, don't even get me started. <laughs> but um, that was really like my first kind of introduction to the characters. And then much like you, I was able to get into the animated series, which ruled my life for a good portion of my childhood. Yeah. Um, and then when it came to the comics, I mostly honestly just reread a mm. lot of like my dad's stuff. Like That's I was awesome. when I was a little kid, like I would just go in and I'd read, you know, he he was very particular. He was like they were bagged and boarded. He was like, OK, <laughs> we are going to be in the same room when you read these. But like I would just like read through Age of Apocalypse and then I'd be like, OK, I guess I'm going to read through it again. And just like back and forth, he had the original uh, I think I still have it. It's a terrible condition, but it's like that original Wolverine series where he goes to Japan. I have a I have an old graphic novel collection. Of that too. Is it the white cover yep. where he's in the pile of ninjas? Yeah, yep. I've got that. Yeah. Sword in his... Yes. Yeah, I, that was one of the first graphic novels I bought. Yeah, yeah. it's it's. I think the first graphic novel that I was that I was ever in possession of. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's, it's so funny that over the course of years, like, just like you, I've kind of fallen in and out of collecting mm. X-Men. Um, but if it's any indication, when I was a little kid, I was so ruled by the X-Men as a child that when my parents, when my, my little brother was being born, um, my parents were basically like, they couldn't decide on a name and they were going back and forth and back and forth. And they were like, you four-year-old child, what should your brother's name be? And I Nightcrawler. said, yeah, that's exact, and that's why he's named Nightcrawler Azana. It's really <laughs> that's weird looks, but no, I I said Logan, and like that was yeah. that's his name. His name is that's Logan awesome. Alexander uh, because he is Logan, and he's also the younger brother of Cyclops. So Logan Alexander, <laughs> and I just like my parents were like, sure, whatever, fine, uh. <laughs> and, and so like the first X Men comic that I remember just universally loving was that astonishing x-men run was when i first mm -hmm. started reading them yeah and then i was able to be like oh there was a cool series be by some person named grant morrison that came before this let's check this out like later on when i actually started collecting them yeah and just like you like throughout the years i've like kind of dipped in and out when it comes to x-men comics but over time, there have been specific comics that I've really, really loved. Uncanny X-Force, the Remender Run, um, mm -hmm, Wolverine mm -hmm. and the X-Men, I unabashedly mm -hmm. adore. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's you know, the X-Men have kind of always been there. And they're kind of like your comfort, your comfort comic when you're like, you know, I'm having a really tough time. I'm going to go read a comic where people are having tougher times so I can feel better <laughs> about my situation. The X-Men! <laughs> Or Daredevil, Perfect. depending Daredevil. on who's who's penning that run. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes, I can definitely see the the appeal of that too. Yeah. Um, so this episode specifically though is about X Men events. Now we talked we talked briefly off mic about what constitutes an X Men event. Now mm-hmm. I've got my criteria, Matt. What's your what was when you were coming up with your pick? Because we each picked a solitary, most important X event. What was your criteria going into it? Right. So um, one of the interesting things I think about um, X-Men is that uh, most of their events are really insular, right? Like the X-Men in general are like their own corner of Marvel. Um, They really don't cross over as much as, you know, anyone else like Spider-Man or Captain America or the Avengers or, you know, it's like they're their own little you know, hemisphere, you know, in the Marvel universe. And sometimes they bleed out and sometimes they don't, but they're all pretty self-contained. They don't really touch the Marvel universe. Um, and sometimes they do affect the universe, but that's that's kind of rare, actually. And I don't really know, you know, how, how often that really happens. Um, and the quality of those differs. Um, but what I think qualifies as an X-Men event is that it has to at least touch multiple titles, and that, or it has to have its own miniseries, um, right. either or. So, I mean, maybe you could make an exception for like Dark Phoenix, which a lot of people say is like the first X Men event, um, but it is just a storyline. Like right. that is just a long storyline in X Men. Um, or one of my personal favorites is like uh, Days of Future Past, which comes right after Dark Phoenix, but it's just two issues. Yeah. You know, it's not really an event. Like all the other. Um, Days of Future Past uh, follow-ups, which no one cares about, which aren't important at all. Days of Future Presence and all whatever. Can't like wait those for are Days of Future Future. Oh, exactly. it's, a great one. it's coming. Like those, no one cares about them. They're not nearly as good as Days of Future Past, but they're actually more of an event than Days of Future Past. So my criteria was that at least I had to touch other titles, you know. Um, and I think what's interesting is that. That really didn't happen um, until like the late 80s uh, into the early 90s. Like for a comic that's been around as long as X-Men, um, they didn't really get event heavy until a little bit later into their run. Right. You know, since they started in the 60s and of course they had their time of cancellation and then they came back, you know, like in the 70s and Chris Claremont had his big run. And But even that was still like, it was like uncanny X-Men. For the longest time, it was just uncanny X-Men, right? And then we had... Wolverine and then we had new mutants and then the line starts to like splinter. And of course, of course, like in the eighties, it's like all Claremont still basically yeah. writing everything. It's crazy that like, when you look back on it, it's an, in, kind of insane that he did everything basically for the X-Men in the eighties. Whereas you look at the X-Men now and Hickman is like in the Claremont role, but he's still got a bunch of other people writing everything. Oh, you for know, sure. he's like writing one, series and and kind of being like the mastermind behind that but claremont is like no no these are all my children i have to write them all for more than a decade like a decade and a half which is crazy um but um so i guess what i'm saying is you know it has to it has to bleed out a little bit beyond just like one um one series yeah yeah i absolutely agree with that i think the the kind of criteria that I was looking at is very similar to yours. And the one kind of additional rule is that it had to make some kind of significant change to mm-hmm. whether it was to certain characters, status quo, maybe um, 
dissolving or disbanding or bringing together a new team um yeah. it had to matter yes. and not just to the singular title like you were saying that you know it would be a part of which is why like something like like you said the dark phoenix saga which is this huge sprawling like shakespearean tragedy isn't on the list because right. <laughs> it was really just like this big long arc like you can't call um you know the majority of jason aaron's thor run an event just because it was kind of all tied together but you can yeah. call war of the realms an event because it touched mm -hmm. several different titles had crossovers and stuff so i also took a look at specific you know crossovers between you know like you said the very rare occasion when the x-men would cross over with kind of the wider marvel universe and then yeah um, and still change in that status quo which is just as rare as them crossing yeah. over in the first place for sure yeah for sure um and i guess that gets to the idea of the other half which is important right yeah. this is the this isn't best x-men event no <laughs> this is most important x-men event very important to, to <laughs> highlight that it's important we have to make that, that distinction we have to put that disclaimer ahead of time when i when i first started i was thinking about well you know, I kind of forgot the important thing. I was like, what's the best one? And then I was like, oh, right, important. Like, totally reshape your thinking for a second here. Um, because, I mean, also, if we just talk about best X-Men stories in general, I think, I don't know if events are always where they shine. Right. Um, we're going to probably touch base on a lot of crappy events and just oh, yeah. breeze right by them. Breeze right on by. 90s lots of the 2000s lots of the 2010s just like oh right that thing like who cares <laughs> you know um and also they're not important a lot of them aren't important either because yeah. they're just like because because to me like important has some like you're talking about like something a character has changed or a team is formed or the world is shifted it has to have like a, a long tail to right. like its aftermath and i think what's interesting is you can look back and sort of see how, you know, we have the benefit of like hindsight, right? You know, if an event was in the nineties, is it still effective today? Like, is there something happening today from it? Or if an event, you know, was in 2015 and you completely forgot about it, obviously it's not that important. Like right? Secret Wars. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> My beloved Secret Wars, you leave it alone. It honks. It honks. Um, the uh the rare honk not many things get it um, not many secret wars and a plug for my video uh godzilla versus destroya will be getting a honk um in my next godzilla video deservedly so yeah. i mean it's destroya oh, yeah it's amazing um but uh <laughs> yeah so it's like and i guess that's the problem with events in general too right like they are meant to generate cash right you know and they they are i mean i guess it's coming back to a wrestling term right like they are the pay-per-view right. of 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 these the ongoing storylines and they are meant to be a blow-off in the bigger storyline i think claremont was really good at that um talk about you know just touch one like inferno is like a big blow-off for like a lot of ongoing storylines right. in x-men and it's, it's kind of the culmination of a lot of his stuff for for many years um but a lot of events are like set it up, do it, pay it off, 
forget about it. Like we need the, we need the event. We need the, to jack up the price point. We need to get a lot of people to buy it. So let, let's just make it feel important. And then afterward, if it went well, maybe it will actually be important, but it's kind of rare when it actually is. Yeah. Um, if you just look at like a lot of comic book events in any publication, Marvel or DC, it's like, what was the point? Y'all remember infinity warps? Oh my God. Infinity warps and infinity wars. And <laughs> yeah. Secret wars, you know, Bendis secret wars. Oh God. Didn't matter. Uh, like, it's just like, it's like, what was the point? Well, you know, it's got a, you know, a nice cover and it costs more money. That was the point. It's like, the 25 variant covers that yeah. you get of the six issue miniseries. F you pay me. That's the point. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. Um, yeah. So I think like, because the X-Men in particular, like it's like everyone has their own favorite thing about the X-Men, right. like their own favorite characters, their own favorite villains or their favorite thematics or storytelling styles, you know, so events are all the same answer. Uh, is it Cyclops? Cyclops? Oh my yes. God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't hate Cyclops, but he's not my favorite X-Men. Yeah. Well, Matt, it's been great. Uh, we're going to cut oh, things there. All right. But, uh, <laughs> could I just, could I just give my, my choice in? Uh, never mind. Okay. I'll go. <laughs> Does it feature Cyclops? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's gotta, I mean, what? so Cyclops was de- dead. Cyclops was dead. Um, For like twice. a brief period. Yeah. Twice. After the 12, which we talked about briefly, Very he was briefly. missing because he got morphed <clears throat> with apocalypse into that weird sort of, uh, gun arm thing gun armed gumby thing yeah like bad. that and then he dies in 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 humans versus x-men see that right there let's just talk about that for us oh boy that is an that is a perfect example of everything that matt was just talking about like a comic that serves no purpose that has no lasting effects and that is made purely to get money i v x I made the I made the letters with my arm. <laughs> Sometimes I do stuff and I'm just like, oh yeah, this is audio. They they can't see this. <laughs> but like that that is so like like they kill Cyclops in that. Mm-hmm. And like that was a huge deal for me, not just like as a Cyclops fan, but also as like they have been like pushing Cyclops as this like revolutionary leader yeah. and now they're just killing him for what? And that was kind of the during the big push of like Marvel trying to replace the X-Men with the Inhumans. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. we all know how excellently that panned out. Pick up your Black (laughs) Bolt and the Inhumans ongoing right now from Jonathan Hickman. Hold up. Black Bolt, the 12 issue miniseries by Saladin Ahmed. Perfect. Amazing. So good. Amazing. And it has nothing to do with the Inhumans. I I came (laughs) I came to that way late in the game and Mm -hmm. I I I still kick myself for it. Like the Midnight King. Like, come on. Yeah. So cool. But in that same moment, speaking of Black Bolt, I mean, we've got the War of Kings. Oh gosh. I guess that is an X-Men event. Technically. (laughs) Yeah, I always always think of that as Marvel Cosmic, but it is technically an X-Men because He's oh, got Vulcan. It's I got hate, our boy Vulcan. I hate Vulcan. He <laughs> sucks. He makes me so thankful for Cyclops. <laughs> See, and, and if and if he serves any kind of purpose, it's that. Everyone knows that the one true third summer, Summer's brother is Adam X, the Extreme. 
Yes, he is the chosen that. one. Or if, you, if we if must, you don't know that. Get educated. Yeah. Read Expert or, Legacy. Or if we must, uh, Gambit. He's the other third Summers brother. It's st- it is still wild to me that that was on the table at one point. Right, like that could have been incredible, mm-hmm. bad mm-hmm. Yeah. but incredible. Yes, I just don't know what the third Summers brother. The point of that ever was. <laughs> I don't even remember. It was was it Claremont that introduced that idea? No, I think it was uh, Nicieza. Okay, you say his name. It, like, Nicieza, Nicieza. Yeah, there there was a moat, and it was just oh, it was just the most throw like. It was the most throwaway line mm, and mm-hmm. like i think there's some like urban legend that it was like a misprint that he was like <laughs> referring to havoc or something and like he wrote third instead of second or something like that and yeah. like it just ballooned into this gigantic conspiracy yeah it's well that's the thing about x-men is there's so many so much lore and there's so many like complicated relationships and there's so much like history built on history um that like when you do introduce something like it's hard it's really hard to decanonize it yeah and eventually like and you know the 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 community of x fans they like run with it and they want to know the answers and so it's like oh third summer's brother someone's eventually gonna have to pay that off and then we get deadly genesis and all that sort of stuff this sucks my poor boy darwin oh darwin oh darwin (laughs) <laughs> built made to suffer born 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 to never quite die legitimately like created just to suffer his mutant yeah. power is to suffer yeah um, unless uh unless it's first class and then you just kill him off. you just kill off the unkillable character great job guys <laughs> and also the only person of you know uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah Yep. So mm-hmm. first class is a good movie. Otherwise, guys, it's 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 a good movie. Um, but so we talk about like <clears throat> kind of the uh, the guidelines, kind of what we're looking into, what we consider the most important X event. Did you have any runner ups? Because I will I'm going to pull back the curtain for our listeners here for a little bit. Um, I got very focused in mm-hmm. my note taking when I came mm-hmm. to this idea of like, what is the most important event ever? And I immediately had like at least five come to mind. And like my focus was so like tunnel visioned on like narrowing it down from like a handful of them. Yeah. That actually did the responsible adult thing <laughs> and like took stock of what events there were. Yeah. So um, what, what would you consider like elite, uh, a not important event versus like an important event. Well, I'll, I'll give you, here we go. So I, I, I collected them all. I had a big list and I just, based on my, I, I gave it a thought and I thought about like, like we we're talking about impact and, and, and general, like just what it meant for, for the, um, for the line. And sometimes, you know, something can be so good that it, it impacts the storytelling too, just in general. Like, I'm like, mentioned briefly like days of future past is not an event but that storyline is so good that so many x-men stories afterward are shaped by it because it's such a great story that has like such a potent idea that's Mm. so much like house of x and powers of 10 is shaped by days of future past in in conjunction with a few other things but without days of future past you wouldn't get that and a lot of other these of these like x-men time travel stories and bishop and all this sort of stuff like it all kind of like is seated in just in like this really like incredible idea. And I just, I just love that story so much. Um, but um, 
So I grabbed them all and then I started putting them in there in a not important column and an important column. So let's just go through my not importance real quick. I love this. I love this. Let's do Does it. Does this sound good? Does it sound yes. good? Yeah. Okay. We're going to go in chronological order. Oh, and if, yes. And if your event is in here. I'll blink do, twice. Do, do not tell me. Do, do not tell me. Surprise me, please. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the listeners will get my blanks. That's what's going to. Oh, yeah. Okay. So not important. 1990 Days of Future Present. Like, it doesn't matter. It's a sequel to Days of Future Past. And it brings in Rachel Summers. But besides that, no one really cares. Uh, 19, also 1990, Extinction Agenda. Uh, I don't care. No one cares about Extinction <laughs> uh, 1991, Muir Island Saga. I don't care about Muir, Muir Island. I'm yeah. sorry. No one cares about Moira McTaggart until House... It's only Moira X. X. Only Moira, Moira X. Moira X, yes. 1992, Executioner Song. It's, you know, it's not, it's not that important. I know the cable is kind of paid off in that. Like that's when you find out that Cable is uh, Cyclops' son. But besides that, like that character had already been introduced and that kind of like tied it together, but not that important. 1993, Blood Ties, which is like the Genosha War with, um... see, you're you're like, what? What is Blood Ties? See, you... <laughs> <laughs> also, Nin- I, I want to, just because it crossed my mind just now, I love that you gave me the disclaimer of like, if I say you're most important, don't tell me in the non-important list. Yeah, give me the 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 disclaimer and like if I say it in the important list, don't tell me. It's he's setting me up to pick something that's not important <laughs> on this list. I just want to make that clear before we continue on. But please, yeah, I am kind of, I am kind of. <laughs> uh, 1994 Child's Play. I don't even know what that is. Let's move on. 1994 also Phalanx Covenant. Mm. I know it introduces the Phalanx and the Phalanx have become more important and they're kind of interesting, but. I mean, that's a, the phalanx are, are this, you know, outer space, you know, species, you know, techno-organic species that their importance depends on if a writer knows what they're doing with them. And I think the Hickman putting them into powers of 10 is interesting as the sort of the end game and the big bad of, of what, you know. Well, he did the smart to. thing and he basically said, the phalanx are important to my characters billions of years from now. I am going to take right. the phalanx and put them so far away that you'll not ask what what's going on yes. with that. Yes, uh, exactly. It's an inter- they're an interesting idea, right? Like beyond that, I don't know. Um 1990 yeah, 1997 Operation Zero Tolerance uh which is another like we're going to hunt the mutants, you know, thing. And I guess that's We're just going to go hunt them. Yeah. 1998, The Hunt for Xavier, They Hunt for Xavier. Uh, 1999, Magneto War, They Have a War with Magneto. Uh, 2000, Apocalypse the 12. The Apocalypse has 12 people. The 12! <laughs> Again, that, that taught me an early, an early lesson of like, not everything is as important as what the comics are saying <laughs> that they are. Yeah. Because uh, Cyclops disappears and everyone's like, well, that's over. Forget about it. Um uh 2000 maximum security do you remember maximum security that, that was one of the first oh, events i ever read gosh maximum security okay ronan the accuser they yes. turn earth into a planet oh, uh yeah. ego starts to take over earth wow that's it's only three issues i i don't think i've ever actually read it 
I think I've seen it. I think I know of it. Never actually read it. You don't need to read it. It's when when I was a kid and reading it, I was like, oh, what's going to happen? And the answer is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 2001 Eve of Destruction. Uh, that was when they brought back Cyclops from the 12. So he was only gone for a year. What the hell? Like, like maybe a year and a half. Like Just it wasn't much. The demand for Cyclops, man. You can't mm -hmm. escape it. They were pounding down the ex office's doors. <laughs> give us Cyclops. Or um, give us a third Summers brother, whichever is first. <laughs> this is a really complicated chant. Um, so that's like Magneto's about to go to war and they stop him. And then that leads right into new X-Men yeah. when Genosha is destroyed. That was like literally even destruction ends and then new X-Men happens. And that's when you think Magneto dies like right at the start of, of new X-Men. Yeah. It gets all blown up. It's still wild just because I, I reread it recently. Just mm -hmm. like looking at, at that frame of him just sitting in a wheelchair, just like right. nonchalantly looking out to the window as hmm. like a giant fist, a giant plane in the shape of a fist is coming at him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then I'm Magneto for now. You'll come back later to Zorn or maybe not. Um, Spoilers. Oh man, who can, ever, <laughs> who can ever forget Zorn? Um, 2007 X-Men Endangered Species, which is not, um, that's not Decimation. Mm -hmm. That's following Decimation. And then Divided We Stand and Manifest Destiny. And then Original Sin, that's all like 2008, which Oof. is kind of just moving the X-Men into their island off of San Francisco. Necrotia, 2009. Uh, which is Celine bringing back like dead mutants. Yeah. 2010 is Curse of the Mutants, which is them fighting Dracula and they give Jubilee vampire powers. 2010 is Wolverine Goes to Hell, which kind of crosses out of Jason Aaron's run and into the rest of X-Men briefly. But I think that Jason Aaron Wolverine run is very hit and miss, honestly. Agreed. I know that's the thing that pushed him into stardom, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's actually that great. I think the best, the best thing about it is the final issue, because mm -hmm. I think yeah. that final issue is like one of the best Wolverine comics, just for me. That's when all the <clears throat> X Men, like all his family and friends, like come together to bring him back, right? Yeah. After he's accidentally murdered all of his kids. Yes. That was like, this is like what a story. That, that was, that's a terrible story, by the way. Like only and in then, comics. And then it has. It's like an actually like very poorly written, poorly paced comic. And it's like, oh, I did that on purpose. It was meant to be a reveal. I was like, still a bad story. <laughs> still a bad story, Jason. Um, 2011 is Age of X. Um, another, look, we're it about was, to. Oh no, I know what that one was. That was when like, the, it was it was another um, alternate history story. Yeah. That's yeah. when they had that big tower, that, that mutants were holed up in and humans couldn't oh enter some it's oh, oh god what a, cyclops is wearing this weird like skull mask it's dumb <laughs> oh god it's the only thing i remember I, we're about to blow off a bunch of 2010 events which is just, <laughs> just like ready 2013 extermination 2014 trial of dream gray 2014 death of wolverine 2014 axis 2015 black axis. vortex axis the, who could forget the, axis that was terrible. Like, and it also like ruined Rick Remender's like whole red run. onslaught. Red onslaught. White skull. Yeah, 2015 Black Vortex, 
which is the crossover with Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, that's right, with the, with the young X-Men. Yeah. Ugh. 2016, Apocalypse Wars. 2017, Inhumans versus X-Men. <laughs> These faces you're making. Like, just, what? He's, what? He said Apocalypse Wars, and I just like, I was like, was I in a coma? Like, I don't remember sounds, anything about it, that. See, it sounds like it's important, but you don't remember it, so it's not important. And then 2019, Age of X-Men, yes. which was... Which is different from Age of X. Right, which is, which is, and that's right before House of House of X and Powers of Ten, mm-hmm. and that was at the end of um, why am I blanking on the guy's name, Rosenberg's yeah. X Men run, where he kills just everyone, literally kills everyone, but has like a band of them, like because everybody died and they were put in this like weird um, alternate dimension where like nate gray is just like god and he's like oh i'm doing my jesus thing and then outside the actual uncanny book that uh rosenberg was doing was actually good i really Mm -hmm. enjoyed it that was one-eyed cyclops wearing the 90s jim lee costume with like an eye patch along (laughs) with his visor it's the dumbest thing but it like it it has one of my favorite scott and um captain america interactions because anytime you get them together it's just they're two they're two people who at their core and on paper are are so similar that they hate Mm -hmm. each other yes so much Mm -hmm. which is an interesting dynamic i I I love it yeah it's super interesting especially when um cyclops like turns and he's like so you know they're so the opposite after but yeah and then i remember reading an interview with rosenberg who was like so, you know, Hickman was coming in like we already knew he was coming in like before I started my run. And oh, wow. so the X office was like, do whatever you want. And I was like, okay, I'll just kill everyone. And it's, and again, just very like, Rosenberg. Yeah. And just like Jason Aaron's Wolverine story, I'm like, that doesn't mean it's a good story. I'm like, yeah. just because just you do it, it doesn't mean it's a good story. Because, of course, <laughs> House of X, you know, has the reveal that, you know, of the X Men being able to be reborn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is this sort of really interesting twist uh, on because the X Men are always like suffering and dying and losing people and tortured over their losses, and even though people come back, like the whole like the House of X and you know everything that comes after Age of X and all that is like now mutant resurrection is part of the story. Yeah, and people can come back. And, and, and you can take that in really interesting directions too, like uh, Way of X recently. Which um, I haven't read yet. Great, great book. But it deals mm-hmm. with, you know, Kurt, who is still very religious, going into this whole thing where like Magneto is saying, like, we are your gods now. Like Kurt is basically this person who is now having to deal with the concept of death. And like, what does mm-hmm. that mean now? Yeah. Does that still hold weight? It's a, a mm-hmm. very, very good first issue um Cy Spurrier is a is a good man he knows this <laughs> so did I mention yours and was it Curse of the Mutants from 2010 you did I didn't think you were gonna mention it but I mean it's X-Men versus vampires like what else could you ask for in a comic book doesn't that sound like a fun comic though like it does like they fight Dracula off and on like they fought him in like the 80s and Storm doesn't get turned Storm and Wolverine get turned to vampires temporarily and yeah yeah i just think that maybe in the 2010s we don't need to see the x-men fighting vampires as much although i think dracula is part of wolverine's ongoing comic now like is a big part of that yeah like the current yeah the current 
you know, Age of X, uh, Reign of X, Wolverine, like, has a lot of, like, vampire stuff in it. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Well, no, I, I Logan, think... Logan can go suck a lemon. I'm all about, <laughs> I'm all about Laura Kinney as Wolverine. Laura Kinney, Laura Kinney's Wolverine. That yeah. omnibus is coming out. I mean, by the time that this episode drops, it will have been out for a couple weeks. But I'm very excited about that omnibus. No, I hadn't, I hadn't read that run until, like, a couple months ago. And it was, I, you know, I have Marvel Unlimited. I just was yeah. like, this rules, like this rules so hard. Like, <laughs> so hard. like, like reading through, I was like, this is, this is just the best. Like, oh my God. And her and Gabby and Jonathan, the actual Wolverine. Jonathan okay. That, the actual Wolverine. Forget it. Forget these events. Let's talk about all new Wolverine. <laughs> we, we have gone from a wrestling podcast to talking about how much uh, Vince McMahon would be funding Sentinels. And now we have finally made our way to the true point of this episode, which is all new Wolverine. <laughs> it's, you know, we tricked them, but we got them. We got them. We got them. Yeah. You're, you're at this point, what, like 40 minutes in, we've got yeah. you already. You're, you're in for the ride now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so those were my blow these off. And most of those were very easy to put in there. There was a for few sure. that were like, this has some repercussions, but like the twelve, not that much. Like the twelve, <laughs> again, he's got one big eye; it glows red. Very important. Um, like, like, no, no, but you don't understand. It's like a cyclops, like the mythical oh, creature that only has I mean. one eye. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Got it. See, got it. I've, I've turned him around. He's going to go read the twelve now. You know, it sounds like a weakness actually for <laughs> apocalypse. Only but, in sunlight. Mm, right. Hard to blink. Hard to Big blink. eyelid. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've gone through the terrible ones, which I will say was not mine, was not a part of that list. So cool. we're going strong here. Would have been juicy if it was. Well, you know, you. I had to scribble out Curse of the X-Men, but... Um, mutants, mutants. Curse of the Mutants, that's right. That's, <laughs> I know it so well that I, I know the title. Um. That whole utopia era is um, mm. such a hit and miss. But mm -hmm. anyway, uh, going into important events. Yes. How should we do this? Should so, we do runners up first? Yes, I think that would be great. Okay. Okay. So I, again, I have like, what I did was I have my important list and then yes. I picked my one. So oh, how do I do this? Um, you want to go back and forth a bit? We can go back and forth a bit. Sure. Yeah. Let, let's let's do that. Okay. So, um, Mutant Massacre is is one of my runners up, uh, which is in 1986, and was also one of the first um, X Men like collections I bought, like trade paperbacks. Um, and in that, the uh, the Marauders, who you find out eventually are contracted by Mister Sinister, go in underground into the sewers where the Morlocks live, where the Outcast mutants, and just start killing them. And the X-Men like find out about this and try and intervene and get like their butts totally whooped. And it's a huge loss for the X-Men. Quite a few people die and like Cyclops and Kitty Pryde are like severely injured. But you get like Uncanny X-Men. Um, uh, is it uh, X4? Wait, what's the... Um, X-Factor. X-Factor, yes. Which is the, the original five like doing their own thing. Underrated. Thor, Thor is involved. So he crosses over into Simonson's Thor, which I'm a huge fan of that run. It's one of my favorite comics ever. So good. Um, and he's in there, and that's when Angel loses his wings. And so it, you know, it's like 
kind of this like big moment in Claremont's X-Men in the eighties. And then like speeds into like a lot more to follow for sure. Yeah. yeah so I think that's one of my, that and mutant massacre is an event that I always kind of come back to. Cause it's one of those mm-hmm. things that it's like, you don't, um, it doesn't immediately come to mind because it's not like bombastic. It doesn't have like, universe shattering effects but what it does is it has intimate personal um personal stakes and personal consequences yes like it's a fantastic read if Mm -hmm. not like incredibly sad and tragic for sure yeah no yeah it's good it's it's still a good story and it's kind of like the first saber-tooth wolverine like conflict too um it's cool i mean i think that things i think they would do x-men events better but Mm -hmm. uh but it's good it's good yeah so my first runner-up is Onslaught. So Onslaught mm-hmm. is this gigantic... I'm not going to go into the minutia of, well, <laughs> you know, this was the psyches of both the terrible things of Charles Xavier and Magneto, but, like, it was this gigantic, like, world-shattering event in Marvel Comics that was both in-universe and uh, in the real world for editorial a way to be, like x-men forever everyone else can burn in a hole and die and we'll like go and figure things out for everybody else but it was a way (laughs) to like get characters off the board we had involvement from literally everyone in the marvel universe and at the um at the big climax of it you know we got franklin richards one of the greatest mutants who's ever lived uh basically (laughs) no he's not he's not a mutant actually didn't you hear? oh that's right that's right oh god No, no, that never happened. That That never happened. Dan Slott decrees it. That makes me so bad. (laughs) Um, But it was uh, it was so interesting in like kind of looking back on it, like because reading it is like a mess. Like going back, I I read it. I think it was a couple years ago. I I was like, I'm going to brave it. Um, I literally okay, because I can I wanted to do it for the podcast because I was like, I want to do an episode on a big X-Men event and it's going to be Onslaught. And I read through it and I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> like, I I physically can't do this. Yeah. Because it's just, it makes no sense. Like, characters pop in and out when they should be, like, somewhere else. It's, it's the worst kind of event storytelling. But yeah. in that, um, again important not good um (laughs) in that vein it had long reaching repercussions like this was kind of the first big like oh there's real there's real darkness in charles xavier like enough that it could be a worldwide threat and then we got obviously the fantastic four uh the avengers everyone kind of dying in quotations Mm -hmm. and then we got you know Heroes Reborn, Heroes Return, all that stuff. So while none of those I would consider good, they are important. <laughs> important, and they, yeah. And they do matter. It seemed like Marvel editorial co-opting like a long-running X-Men story into being more important so they could get the image guys to do Marvel. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Which was the whole point of Heroes Reborn. But still, like it was important. For sure. Plus, Onslaught was super cool in Marvel versus Capcom. He absolutely was. And I remember, I distinctly remember being a small child and seeing a full-on toy of Onslaught and being intimidated by a plastic toy. (laughs) I hope you were a fairly small child at the time. 
I mean, I'm fairly small now, so I, <laughs> you you can assume that I'm I was fairly small then. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, let's see. Um, so one of yeah, let's see. I guess I'm kind of going a little chronological. And blow off like follow the mutants was also something I considered, but isn't is more like a loose storyline, kind of just like Fair. kind of all under the same banner. Um, yeah. I mentioned Inferno. Yes. Uh, I would put Inferno as a runner up um, because this is like, again, a big blow off for a lot of Claremont stuff, especially um, Madeline Pryor um, and, and everything going on with her, which was because, you know, Jean Grey had died, you know, at Dark Phoenix and Claremont didn't want to bring her back. And then Marvel editorial brought her back with John Byrne in Fantastic Four. Like they did it outside of his, outside of his control. And so he had brought in Madeline Pryor and wanted to give Cyclops like a happy ending with her. And then Marvel editorial said, you got to bring back Cyclops. And then they turned, you know, that kind of like, and then you got to bring back Jean Grey and then where's Madeline Pryor. And so this was him kind of turning, you know, you know, all this crap into something interesting, which chicken involved into chicken salad. Ex- I would not want to eat that. Um, no. And uh, <laughs> it's like this whole like hell and the demons and she becomes the goblin queen and is bringing hell onto earth. And, you know, so they're, so Jean Grey and all of them are battling with her. And then you get um, Ileana Rasputin, um, you know, also as, uh, as magic and you get like, it's all the like the mystical side of X-Men that's been bubbling, kind of coming to a head as it's hell on earth and them trying to stop in Madeline Pryor dies at the end. And you get this, you know, closing for her um, and some redemption for Jean Grey throughout all of that. And then it crosses over like into all these different weird ways with other characters like uh, Daredevil has a big like Inferno crossover, which is awesome because Anne Nocenti was writing Daredevil and she was a an editor on X-Men for a long time. So she was, you know, willing to, to jump over. Yeah, she got, and it's great. Um, I think it's really interesting. Yeah. And it's just, it's just like all the storylines and all the ideas that Claremont has going on, like coming together, like smacking together into something big. It just kind of organically. Yeah. If, if, if I can make a very poor comparison, um, Inferno is kind of the, you know, Inferno was a kind of uh, event similar to something that's been recent, like King in Black, where mm-hmm. it's this kind of long-standing um, finale event for a run that's been going on for a while, taking in all of these disparate pieces from throughout the Marvel Universe, and the best part of it is the Daredevil story. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there but yeah, know. honestly, and I've I've always had this weird fascination with Madeline Pryor as a character. Mm-hmm. Like, what a what a strange choice yeah. to be like, hey, Scott, look, I get it, man. You love Jean Grey. Here is a genuine carbon copy of that person. <laughs> you don't know it, she and and yeah, she's a person when this whole thing kicks off, but later yeah. on we find out she's legitimately a carbon copy. Yes. of Jean Grey created by Mr. Sinister and like just the decision by Claremont to be like yeah okay I can make that work is just it's it's a testament to him and his you know his talents as a storyteller for sure yeah it's just it's yeah it's 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 very satisfying too and it's just it's the rare it's it's like a rare organic event right like it just like felt like it's time for this thing instead of 
because I think even with King and Black, like it's like hit hit your event deadline. You know, let's go, let's do it. You know, yeah. kill the Sentry. Yeah, you got to do again. It. Whatever Sentry should already have been dead. You know, if anyone whatever. read the Donny Cates Doctor Strange run, they're written by the same guy. <laughs> very good run i i just want I haven't, to miss that i haven't read it it's i haven't read good. it okay i'll put it on the to read list along with everything else <laughs> if, uh, if, if nothing else tune in for the uh the walta art oh i love i love gabriel, gabriel walta yes yeah he's great yeah so good all right your your next so my, my next one is i think one that's very um very popular and it's one that a lot of people will uh I think kind of look to when you think of like big X-Men events mm-hmm. and that's um, House of M. Like it's one of those, one of those uh, events that had longstanding consequences and was also one of legitimately like one of those events where I was like glued to every page. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's one of those stories that while the execution might be a tad rushed um it is it still stands the test of time with all the uh reality warping the payoff from avengers disassembled going into the you know unfortunately cutting the new avengers run short at the time and really like giving us you know a big making the x-men feel big time again which they hadn't felt for a little bit prior Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. so um there's i mean Pretty much everybody knows House of M at this point, especially with WandaVision going on. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely on there. It was very, very close in my my kind of top mm-hmm. group. So yes. Yeah. So this is my pick. Oh, awesome. Yes. So this is my pick uh for most important. And um, yeah. So I guess I'll just go into it a little bit. Yes, this let's this do it. is so I was going through and we're talking about most important. And I was looking at, again, like the long tail of House of M. And I think you can still feel it today, yes. uh, which is interesting. Because I think that, I mean, House of X being named as what it is, is sort of trying to put a coda on like House of M's effects, right? So right. before this, you have uh, new X-Men. And the the general like idea of X-Men in the early 2000s was that mutantdom was actually starting to take over the world. That like the mutant population was booming. And I know that, you know, a lot of mutants die at the start of New X-Men with Genosha being destroyed. And I think that was Grant Morrison's way of trying to decimate the mutant population to make it feel a little bit more desperate. But pretty soon after that, it was still like mutants are just popping up, going, 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 and like taking over the world. And so the general idea was that like mutants were starting to go from being the like hated and feared minority to like the inevitable majority. Um... So House of M uh, is interesting because in two ways, like the event itself is, so it's by Bendis who hadn't like really written any X-Men stuff before this. Yeah. Like this was like in the, like his like big run in the mid two thousands where he was like the guy shaping the Marvel universe. Right. Cause he was doing, cause he did Avengers disassembled. Right. Which changed Avengers and mm-hmm. then uh, new Avengers and then, you know, he does this and he does Secret Invasion. And like, he's kind of like the guy who's, and then he does Siege. And he's like the guy in like for most of the 2000s that's reshaping like the big 
overall structure of, of the world. Right. I think it's funny because he wasn't writing any X-Men like at this point. No. They were just like, you come in. And he's like, I got this idea. Sorry, X-Men line. Like you're all going to change right now. Um, <laughs> and he doesn't write X-Men until 2013, yeah. which is with like all new X-Men. And no one likes that run, like with the original five and all that. And that's funny because it's just like Bendis lost like his, his, uh, his fastball. His cred. Yeah, like just like this is great, but also just like his style, like like this is like he's not quite like delivering like he was five years prior. So I think what's interesting about House of M is that I mean it's a good event. Um, it's interesting because it's a whole. I mean it's kind of classic X Men in that it's a alt like suddenly the world is different, and instead of an alternate timeline or dark future, it is um, the world itself being reality warped by the Scarlet Witch, right. and it's funny because the event kind of starts as an Avengers event and then suddenly flips on its head to being an X-Men event. Right. Cause it's like, Oh, well, you know, it's like the X-Men and the Avengers are kind of coming together and the Avengers are kind of leading the charge and Scarlet, Witch up to this point, it was really mostly an Avenger instead of an X-Man. Yeah. Like out, you know, after she got, after she did, de- she debuted with, um, you know, the uh, brotherhood, you know, and then she becomes good, and then she becomes an X Men. She becomes an Avenger with you know Cap's Kooky Quartet. Kooky Quartet, my favorite yeah. Avengers <laughs> roster. So um, good. Then she's just an Avenger, you know, from then on, you know, and like she's a huge part of like Kurt Busiek's uh, Avengers run in the '90s, early 2000s, which is a great run. Um, she's an Avenger, and so it feels like an Avengers event, and then this, this kind of remakes her into more of a mutant than an Avenger. And so, you know, the whole story is that she is going crazy because everything that's happened to her. And then, you know, she lashes out and changes the world to put mutants in charge and mutants are the majority of people. If you're a regular human, you know, you're looked down on and it's kind of a, it's kind of a racist society to some degree. If you aren't mutant, then you are scum. Um, And so you see how everything gets flipped on its head for people, you know, mutants that are living in it. And then eventually, you know, the world is, uh, that world is undone. And at the end, she says no more mutants and 98% of the world's mutant population is is depowered. And there's like 198 mutants is the number they give because Dr. Strange like casts a spell to try and protect some as much as he can in like a second. And so the effect is huge. And whether you want to talk about like the demonization of Scarlet Witch that has kind of lasted for a long time since then, and some writers are really good at doing it. And I think at the time Bendis was just had an interesting idea. I don't think he was looking to make Scarlet Witch some villain forever. No, you know? it, it, it's one of those things that Bendis does sometimes where it's like, I have the consequences really cool of my idea. Yeah, I, I have this cool idea, but I have no idea how it's going to pay off. But I'm mm-hmm. going to write it in because it's a really cool idea that'll get people talking. Right. Um, yeah, so... I think it's a good event, but you can see the the effects are like, so mutants become the the extreme minority um, afterward. Wolverine regains his memories because the whole thing is that she hijacks Professor X's mind to give everyone their greatest desire. And that's kind of so, And but Magneto is first and foremost. So his desire yeah. for mutant dumb, the conquering, and then everyone afterward. And so Wolverine wants his memories back. He gets his memories back and that's permanent. Yeah. Almost everyone's depowered. So you get a lot of characters that are like dropped from the titles afterwards. The X-Men are reshaped like in a big way. Um, yeah. 
And then uh, it also starts the um, redemption of Magneto also. Um, he, he loses his powers and goes on this desperate run to get his powers back. And basically he goes from, you know, being, you know, cast out to being an anti-hero to being a hero. And like Magneto's whole redemption kind of starts here, which is interesting because like at the end of Grant Morrison's new X-Men run, his idea was that Magneto was the new Hitler basically. And then dot and then dies. And then where do you go from there? Really? You I mean, the editorial was like, that was not Magneto. That was not back. It was like, that is not Magneto. (laughs) Forget that. (laughs) That's that's literally the only way you could, you could redeem that character at that point. Yeah. It was like just killing like thousands and thousands of people like every day. You you, you could bring back Joseph. Everybody's favorite Joseph. God, Joseph. There was a period in time when I was a small child where I thought Joseph was the greatest (laughs) X-Man. Oh before, man! Before, before I read the twelve, and I got really into uh, into Scott. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that there we go. That's what did it for you. That's why that's, you that's really up. what you know. I just feel like once you're bonded to Apocalypse, yeah. you're the best oh, X Man. Yeah. Oh, I mean, <laughs> even though it was an accident, he was trying to bond with X Man. Yeah. Remember X Man? Trying to bond with Nick. Oh, uh, I, of course I remember X Man. There's an entire age of X Man. Didn't you hear? I, I must have been asleep. <laughs> um, so it informs like a lot of the events that come after. Yeah. So Messiah Complex, Messiah War, Second Coming, they're, uh, you know, to all about trying, you know, about, um, why am I blanking on her name? Hope. Um, Hope Summers being this, you know, the first new mutant born and the idea that she could like spark the, the mutant renaissance and everything, the fight over that wouldn't happen without um, House of M. Um, then you get like Nation X and the mutants moving to Utopia, you know, it's all in response to like their numbers being so small and everyone needing to come together, right. you know, creating this like desperation that like, you know, House of X is all about like all of mutant them coming together also on a much bigger scale. But, um, and that's, that's out of like cooperation, but mutant them coming together after House of M is like out of desperation. Yeah. Um, it's, it's basically like a refugee island. Yeah, basically. And so you get that and then you get, and I think that naturally leads to schism uh, mm-hmm. afterward. And then that leads to Avengers versus X-Men, which is where you get, you know, Cyclops becoming the Phoenix and then turning bad. And then you get like, kind of like it. So it, it, it kicks off this huge wave for the next like 15 years. Yeah. And House of X is like I was saying, the coda to House of M in that um, it's like, I mean, that House of M is defined by um, no more mutants. And then Krakoa's, you know, saying is make more mutants. Yeah. Um, and it's like you, they stand in like contrast to one another and you wouldn't. And what's cool about House of X and Powers of Ten is that um, it uh, it's taking a lot of threads from X-Men history um, to build together into this, this current run and paying off a lot of stuff. Um, and forgetting some stuff like Age of X-Man. It will not be paying off Age of X-Man, no matter how many theories are out there. What? <laughs> but what about X-Man? Forget and him. his age. Forget him. He went what back. is his age? It's over. It's, it's over. <laughs> um, but I think that it, when you look at the long tail of X-Men events, I would say House of M has maybe the longest lasting um very clear repercussions and that's why it's my pick yeah i 
you would be hard to argue that just because of the amount of stories that came out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, the sheer, like you said, the status quo shift for that just in general. And besides that, there are some very cool ideas that actually happen in the narrative of that event. Like Mm -hmm. that whole, um, giving you everything that you wanted, like is so fascinating to me because you get to see all these things. Peter Parker wakes up married to Gwen Stacy. Yes. Like I still, it still sticks in my mind that Mm -hmm. choice. Yes. And, you know, you get all these things that happen. Steve Rogers, old man, Steve Rogers, like going, you know, who survived Mm -hmm. the war, like all of these great things have come out of it. The art is also gorgeous. Yeah. It's Quapel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who's great. I love Olivia Quapel. Mm hmm. And you get like immediately following this, you get decimation, you get this big push for, you know, what do we, you know, picking up the pieces and going forward yeah. from that. So mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, um, I when I was looking at everything, I I had to go through a lot of different options before I actually picked House of M. Um interesting. Because I was looking at other stuff and you know, thinking, oh, is it gonna be is it going to be Inferno? Is it going to be Mutant Massacre? Is it going to be uh, Age of Apocalypse? Is you know, and all yeah. this sort of stuff. And I was looking at, well, what are the effects? And what are the effects? And what are the effects? And like, how does it still stand? Like, you know, if if you were like, okay, here's the history of the X Men, and here's you know things you need to read in order to understand. You know, if you want to skip through their history and jump around, like, what do you really need to hit? And it's like, House of M is like a really really huge thing. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I just, I was like, oh, is there some other option? I just kept being like, no, it's got to be House of M. And then, yeah, Decimation that follows from it is more like a storyline in general. Right. But it's, you know, the whole No More Mutants thing happens in the second to last issue. And the final issue has the the fallout. And it also brings back Hawkeye. Yes. Our boy. Yes. yes. Our boy, who, Clint Barton. Who went out like a chump. Absolutely. In chump. Disassembled. Oh no, my arrows are on fire. Better blow myself up. You know. I mean, it's better than Scott Lang not even getting a cho- not even getting a chance to be in the actual event. Bl- blown up by Zombie Jack of Hearts. RIP. Y'all remember Jack of Hearts? That longtime Avenger Jack of Hearts. He was. He really was. It's He's wild. like him and Black Knight are like, "Oh yeah, they were on the team for like two decades." Don't you remember? Like, no. I don't remember. One of my favorite parts of a story that spins out of all of this uh, children's crusade. I reread. Oh recently. yeah. Mm-hmm. There is this moment spoilers, I guess for this book uh, where they go back in time. Mm-hmm. You know, the young mm-hmm. Avengers go to the day that um, Avengers disassembled happens. Yeah. And literally someone like points out, I was like, Oh my God, look, that's Jack of hearts. And everyone's like, who <laughs> like is one of my favorite moments. Oh Cause my it's just like, absolutely jack and they, and they still haven't brought him back nope they've brought back everybody else but they haven't brought back jack of hearts. you know it's it's that ever-changing rule you can bring back anyone you want except the waynes uncle mm, ben uncle and ben. jack of hearts, jack of hearts. <laughs> those are the three well it's funny because when they killed off scott lang in that it was like oh that's you know that's a big thing but it's also not that important like at the time like that wasn't a character that was like had maybe you know his his heyday had come and gone right like you know when he became the second ant-man like the 80s it was like oh here's a cool thing and then like by then it wasn't that he wasn't that important anymore again 
And then, you know, now they've brought him back and now he's like the star of the movies. It's like, oh, of course, Scott Lang, Ant-Man. Like, yeah. But at the time, if 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 someone was like, Bendis, you can't kill off Scott Lang. He's going to be in the highest grossing movie of all time and play an important, a pivotal role. And he's like, yeah, right. Anyway, so Zombie Jack of Hearts blows him up. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I would have loved to be in that pitch meeting. Just a fly in the wall in this pitch meeting of like Bendis being like, all right, yeah, so Zombie Jack of Arts blows up Scott Lang. They're like, okay, I'm following this so far. Vision pops out and he's uh, he's just going to, you know, barf up some Ultrons. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm following uh, this. Keep going. And he's she like, Hulk rips him apart. She Hulk rips him apart. And then um, I, I'm just going to kill off Hawkeye. And just everyone going, what? <laughs> like right. Gonna, it's going to be super cool, though, right? And he's like, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. super cool. Oh, super yeah, it's cool. going to make total sense. <laughs> because, I mean, again, like, now we're off on another tangent, but, like, Hawkeye's, like, you. I mean, for a long time, 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, like, the most, maybe the most important Avenger. Yeah, certainly be- the most competent. Yeah, because everyone kind of comes and goes except for Hawkeye. Yeah. Like to some degree. Once he's on the team, he's kind of a mainstay for a really, really long time. Um, even the, the the big three, like they all kind of flop in and out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but Hawkeye is always, always there. So to kill him off and then to, so to bring him back in House of Emma, everyone was like, oh, thank you. Like, yes, yeah, of course, thanks. like needs to be alive. <laughs> like, yeah. And every time, like, and I'm, I am a little precious with Hawkeye. I'm like, you know, because I mean, I didn't really even have more tangents. Like I didn't even really care for Hawkeye free fall by Rosenberg. Really? Yeah. Because I f- okay. felt like the, I know that the story is like Hawkeye giving it to his worst impulses over and over and over again. But I felt like the, the free fall of Hawkeye was too fast. It was like way too I fast. I agree. Yeah. And that it had a, a, I was like, this is interesting. I wonder where it's going. And then I feel like that should have been like twice as long. Yeah. Or, or at least several, several issues longer. And I felt very like unsatisfied by the end. That's when it was like, you know, so I think it was like, oh. yeah, and I'm just I, again, I, I'm precious with Hawkeye. So that, yeah, yeah. And I get that. And honestly, I think it was really um, more spawned out of the idea that we need Hawkeye and the Ronin suit again. We need to mm-hmm. get him in a Ronin suit again. Endgame's coming out. Right. Gotta do this. And yeah. it's unfortunate because I do think that Rosenberg, while he definitely has his faults, he knows how to draw he knows how to write Hawkeye. Like mm-hmm. that great Tales of Suspense run that Oh, I haven't read that. That's okay. If you wanna have if you wanna see Rosenberg writing good Hawkeye, that is one to check out. Okay. Like that is absolutely worth checking out for readers or listeners who are not um aware. It's a short mini series where basically uh Hawkeye and Bucky go to track down possibly Natasha. She was mm-hmm. killed in Secret Empire. Is she alive? <laughs> I think you all know where this is going. But like, but yeah, so like it's a great, great story. And Hawkeye is a fantastic Avenger. And that's why this episode is dedicated to Hawkeye, the greatest Avenger. And the greatest X-Man. And the greatest X-Man. Put him on the team. Put him on, you know, you say that's not that. a bad thing. That's like, not a bad thing. At all. I like, I would read a Hawkeye led X-Men book. <laughs> this is like just 
like what am i doing here like <laughs> yeah it, it's like that weird short-lived like spider-man and the x-men book oh yeah at the x-mansion right because they kill off wolverine and then jason aaron had to end his wolverine and the x-man x-men run and he's like well maybe about maybe what about spider-man and they were like maybe not <laughs> you know and that was it he's like but but what if it's just for like six issues and they're like yeah sure whatever sure whatever whatever yeah, so man i i love this <laughs> i love the fact that we can keep doing this um do you have any because i'm i'm torn between going through another um honorable mm -hmm. mention or just kind of jumping into my pick since we talked about your pick you, do you have do any you should do another honorable mention. I mean, okay. yeah, and we'll see what, what it is. And then um, and then maybe if I have something else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my, I guess we'll say my last honorable mention here is um, one that is very near and dear to my heart, and that is Age of Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. Age of Apocalypse is this huge, sprawling, I mean, I don't need to tell you how big Age of Apocalypse is. Everyone knows how big, big Age of Apocalypse is. Yeah. But like it was really kind of unique at the time and that it was, OK, we are going to effectively cancel the Marvel Universe and we're going to show you this dystopian reality that, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, by the way, is because Legion killed Charles Xavier and we and the only one who remembers it is Bishop like right. what a great hook for that story mm -hmm. the time traveler who comes from this terrible future comes back to prevent it ends up you know being involved in something that creates an even worse future mm -hmm. and it's it's just a great story in the way that it explores the x-men mythos taking characters and reshaping them showing us like what could have been if certain things kind of fell out of you know out of sync um, yeah, some of some of my favorite like early comics memories, you know, I already talked about it earlier in the episode, like come from this run and come from this huge event, you know, taking characters, you know, we get this incredible, um, I think it was uh, Generation Next that basically right. is this suicide mission where like Colossus and Shadowcat take this ragtag team against the Sugar Man. And like you get like <laughs> Dark Beast out of this. You get X-Man yes. who we're still trying to figure out what his age is. Um, 30? Maybe. 20? 20, 20, he's got white hair. He's got white hair. I mean, people. What time do people have stuff? I mean, it, it, it depends. Yeah, yeah. But like, you, but you also get stuff like um, you get this great uh, love story between uh, Weapon X and Jean mm -hmm, Grey, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you get like the uh, star-crossed lovers deal with Jean and Cyclops. Um, X Factor is a really fun read where you have you know the sons of Sinister Havoc and Cyclops doing their thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you get all of this. You get this Magneto-led X-Men team, which is so cool. And it was at a time that it wasn't overplayed at this <laughs> point to have Magneto leading the X-Men. Like, yes. It was, it was a crossover event that really felt like it was this, really felt like it mattered outside of the comics. Like mm -hmm. there are people who have never picked up an X-Men comic, but they know about Age of Apocalypse because it was yeah. this huge sprawling thing. And it's... Is it like the cleanest comic? No, no, there, there are definitely some problems with it. And it's not like a 
the perfect event, but it is, you know, this just in the, kind of the same way that Days of Future Past is, it has this resonance with people that brings, you know, creators back to it. Yeah. For better and mostly for worse. Mostly for worse, yes. Um, unless you read the remainder Uncanny X-Force run. Oh, right, used yeah. to perfection. But like, yeah, it's it's a great event and it absolutely like needs to be in the conversation for sure. For sure. I think it's great. I, I, I thought about it. I think the main thing that... um kept it out of the top for me was that um, it still has some limited uh, effects. True. You know, it's, it's a fairly op- like closed universe. Um, the exciting thing is that everything has changed, like much like house of M, like everything's changed all of a sudden. Right. Yeah. Um, but house of M has like way more like long-term repercussions. Whereas uh, age of apocalypse is kind of shut afterward. And a few, like what four characters or so, um, Jump out, X Man, Dark Beast, Sugar Man, and like there's Blink. one other villain. Blink is brought back. Oh, Blink, a yeah, Blink is, is is yeah in Exiles, and there's one other villain I forget who. Um, Holocaust, I think. Yes, Holocaust. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Are like what the only name. ones. I think they changed that name shortly after. I don't think they did. Mm. I'm about to ruin my search history. You- <laughs> Went from worst X Men event to Holocaust. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, mm. I just remember him having that name for a lot longer than he should have. Oh, he was originally known as Nemesis. Yes. Then they changed it to Holocaust. Wow. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Not one of the best picks that it's like, they've ever. It's a name that'll stick with you. You'd be like, oh, this guy's bad news. But for a little bit. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um but yeah it's super effective it's really interesting and like the yeah that the it was it felt very fresh to um shut all the line down and restart it you know as this new brand to to really sell the idea that this that everything has changed yeah um and then they've got the really cool uh foil covers yes the uh, foil for, covers uh which is awesome i have a few of those um, I think I have X-Men Alpha and Omega mm-hmm. in their foil covers, which is really cool. And it's got a cool ending too of like um, Magneto ripping apart Apocalypse. Yeah, and just as the, like nuclear bombs are dropping. Yeah, when they, and then they finally are able to jump back and like stop. And doesn't Bishop kill Legion? He like, yes. he like so turns it, Legion's like blade on himself. Yeah. Yeah, to to stop everything, and of course that character is back somehow. But um, because of because of X Men, because of X Men, to, to, bar- um, to borrow something from a from a fantastic creator, because comics. Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> we don't we don't name we don't name that critic, but no, he's he's no. not on the podcast right now. There will be well, no other comic book YouTubers mentioned on on my episode. Certainly not. Owen likes comics. Certainly not. We wrote. I, this was in the contract before the episode. I'm not See, be mentioning other one. This is the reason he's on so infrequently because every time he comes on the podcast, we have to write up a new contract. Yes, yes, and it's always longer every time. Um, every time, because the, the more he comes on, the more he he can get away with, and the more tangents yeah. he writes into the clauses of the contract. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's a great event, and and it it sort of. You know, I think it, it 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 it's the like biggest 
uh, encapsulation of that whole the X-Men's dark future or dark alternate timeline or like the worst the worst thing that could happen to the X-Men, you know, yeah. is just like a blink away. You know, yeah. that mutant survival is like on like the knife's edge, like at all times. And that's like a big part of Age of Apocalypse. Cause like kind of one of the things is like that Magneto becomes the leader of the mutants because Xavier dies. And then you realize like Magneto's just not as good of a leader as, as no, Professor he's X. Bad. Like, and I think he realizes by the end too, is like, if, you know, Charles was still alive, like this wouldn't have happened. Um, but, and, and he's like, I think that's one of the things like that he like comes to realize at the end of that, as he's like killing apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's really cool. Yeah. And event. also it's, it kind of signifies like, I, I feel like when you talk about X-Men in the 90s, this is where they peaked. This was mm-hmm. like that change of the guard where it's like, okay, there are no more worlds to conquer. Alexander yes. wept. Like <laughs> when it comes to 90s X-Men, when you get to this point, it's all downhill. Yes. Like. Yeah, for sure. I'm looking at the the unimportant events and after his, uh, <laughs> there's Onslaught and there's Zero Tolerance, Hunt for Xavier, Magneto War and the 12 and Maximum Security. And How can you forget things. about Magneto War? I mean, he's, come on. He's going to war. He's going. He's a going to war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and, um, yeah. Yeah. Do Do you have any uh, any other honorable mentions or any other events you would like to point out? I mean, the I only ones that I feel like we have we haven't really mentioned are like Avengers versus X Men, Battle of the Atom, which no one like, which brings in the original five. Don't give me that look. look. <laughs> and then House of X Powers of 10 in 2019, which which of course is still ongoing. Those are kind of the big ones that we haven't talked about much. Um, and fatal attractions. Like I feel like is this one of these one of these has to be yours. I mean, I gave Matt a very distinct look during when he <laughs> mentioned one of them. Um, no. Let me tell you folks about Battle for the Atom. Oh, no. You want X-Men? You got them. You want time travel? You got them. You want long-standing consequences? Look somewhere else. But you got all of the X-Men are here, even the ones you don't want. I mean, what could you, What else could you ask for? Oh, my God. I'm going to jump through this screen right now. <laughs> no. Um. um but but talking about some of those picks, um, Battle for the Atom is just, it's nonsense. It is <laughs> absolute nonsense. Um, House of X, Powers of Ten, we could sing its praises till the sun comes down. Um, I think the only thing that, that kept me from, from picking that one is like, it hasn't been long enough. Right. I know it's reshaped everything, but it hasn't, it hasn't been long enough yet. Yeah. It, it yeah. it's like picking picking House of M during like during Second Coming. Yeah. Like we don't know the long reaching implications of this and how mm-hmm, it's going mm-hmm. to affect everything. Which is why yeah. my pick for the most important X Men event of all time is Avengers versus X Men. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. I have been telling Matt on more than one occasion that I'm like, I'm very interested to have this conversation Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. this was not my initial pick. Mm -hmm, Um, But like going into the uh, kind of the the minutia of what we were talking about, the um, all of the criteria we were looking at, 
it really kept coming back to me, which is strange because again, I'm going to preface this. This is not the best X-Men event. This is the most important X-Men event. And to talk a little bit about that, like I want to talk about the kind of everything that went into it because Avengers vs. X-Men was this gigantic like 12 issue series with all of these tie-ins in 2012 and 2012 mm. was such a weird year like just in general but also in comics um you know new 52 was still kind of getting off the ground people didn't know mm -hmm. if it was good yet mm -hmm. um marvel was kind of dealing with like oh shit people are really liking the new 52 what are we gonna do here <laughs> and their response to that was kind of like let's take our two like biggest properties and kind of have them punch each other yeah and like looking at it and looking back on like the creative teams involved in this i mm -hmm. mean you've got Jason Aaron, Brian Michael Bendis, Ed Brubaker, Jonathan Hickman, Matt Fraction and yeah, writing right. duties. And on art, you've got John Romita Jr. back, mm -hmm. you know, at that tail end of like me liking John Romita Jr.'s <laughs> art. Um, but you've also got, we already sang his praises earlier, um, Quapel. Is that yeah. saying yeah. Olivier Quapel? Yeah. Olivier Quapel. Matt is always making me just, just elevating me every single podcast. <laughs> Um, and you've also got some great work by Adam Kubert as well mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in this story. But this really ticks all of the boxes when you want to talk about like a an important event. It's this gigantic crossover between two worlds that most most of the time don't intersect. Like we've mm -hmm. talked, we've mentioned it before. The X Men are kind of in their own bubble, and in a way, it works better that way because when you've got like the avengers dealing with this cosmic threat it's like oh yeah just give a phone call to jane gray like she could wipe that right. out real quick <laughs> but it's like and same with other stuff and you know this takes a lot of the boxes when you talk about like big events that involve the x-men it's got you, you know you want your big beat-em-ups you've got them you want interesting character action interactions you've got them you want a phoenix based story since ever since dark phoenix like there has to be some kind of big phoenix component yeah. um but what it does that i think um i really enjoy because your pick was house of them is that up until that kind of final conclusion with uh, house of x powers of 10 this really was the payoff to house of m and, De and uh, decimation so mm -hmm. much of what was yeah, kicked sure. off there was culminated in this story. The Utopia era effectively comes to an end here. Um, mm -hmm. We get this big clash between the remaining mutants against this, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, global superpower in mm -hmm. the Avengers. Um, you get one thing that I think is good for any X-Men event, which is killing Charles Xavier. <laughs> and you get these, um, you get this payoff of the, you know, the no more mutants that kicked off that whole era. Really yeah. what's called like, you know, what I still love anytime I reread house of X, the lost decade. I just, it's incredible. <laughs> that they just Jonathan Hickman gives no fucks about that. <laughs> um, and like blatantly shows the Phoenix five when it says that, but like you get this, um, you get this idea of like, okay, so Scarlet, Witch effectively like turned the universe 
off its balance with Mm -hmm. what she did. Mm -hmm. And the Phoenix Force is this, you know, otherworldly, ethereal creature that represents rebirth. And while it's always kind of involved in these very cosmic y cosmic y stories, you know, there's got to be a reason that it keeps coming back to mutants. Mm -hmm. And when they start to involve like, okay, Hope Summers is supposed to be this, you know, mutant messiah. And the Phoenix Force is coming for Hope because Jean Grey is still dead at this point. Yeah. And who as a complete side note, Jean Grey, just like Barry Allen, more important when they're dead. But <laughs> I... Fair, fair. I digress. But um, the story becomes this incredible, um, regardless of you know the varying quality of the writing, uh, becomes this incredible uh, case study on not mm-hmm. just the ramifications of all of the things that have happened here. You know, because one thing that was, you know, touched upon throughout this utopia era is that yes all the all the mutants are in this one place yes they're able to finally like find a sense of belonging following these terrible events coming out of house of m and decimation Mm -hmm. but they're also incredibly secluded you you get this real sense of like they are off on their own world and anytime that people try to um try to get themselves involved or they try to uh get into their business like there is always conflict like one of my um one of my uh guilty pleasures is the dark avengers x-men crossover where norman basically is like hey i don't like the mutants so we're just gonna take them out and you get to see this incredible chess match between norman osborne and scott summers Mm -hmm. that i always adore it is Mm -hmm. it is in the middle of like a bad period for the X-Men in general. (laughs) But like, it's a really cool story and it furthers this idea of the militarization of the remaining mutants. Yeah. And when everything kind of kicks off on the island where best friends forever, Scott Summers and Steve Rogers go to (laughs) war with each other, you get these really interesting discussions like characters who are involved in both teams, like Wolverine, where does he stand? Mm -hmm. You know, you get to see people choose sides you get to see these great crossover battles and alongside that you get really interesting um story beats that would have long-standing ramifications Mm -hmm. you know the phoenix five was this big flash in the pan like things don't matter the only thing that i think is worse than phoenix five is this recent like jason aaron avengers phoenix thing (sighs) that this nonsense that's going on with that yeah which i'm thankful for because it took the heat off of phoenix five a little bit but like during this phoenix five you know kerfuffle namors does damage to wakanda yeah this is what kicks off that whole rivalry between the two of them because they were more or less you know on the same page until this yeah namor saw wakanda as a threat and decided to use his powers to effectively sink part of it and kill people yeah and so you get these long-standing ramifications that are, you know, that classic, you know, Bendis thing of like, hey, this is really cool and it'll get people talking about it, but I have no idea, you know, what the consequences are going to be kind of turning into something great. And coming out of this event, you get these huge status quo changes. Mm -hmm. Like you get the Uncanny Avengers, which is 
not the best story, but does have some really good bright spots within it yeah. and is kind of notable for having that first time X-Men and Avengers team that's kind of together. Yeah. Besides just Beast or Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, and, it's a true blend. Yeah. Yeah. And and all of them feeling important. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the biggest status quo changes, I think, of all, I mean, it kickstarts, you know, the talking about paying off decimation and everything, the whole thing like ends with Hope Summers taking the Phoenix on and then her and Wanda coming together and saying no more Phoenix and like using the residual energy from the Phoenix force to kind of kickstart, you know, the mutant generation again, like suddenly people Mm -hmm. are popping up um, very much in the reverse of, you know, no more mutants. Yeah. You also get this incredible change for Scott Summers. And again, this is, you know, probably part of my, you know, Cyclops bias, but this is a incredibly important event for him. Definitely. This is the moment that he chooses to become, you know, change from a mutant. uh, He he changes from a a mutant leader to a mutant revolutionary Mm -hmm. and makes that jump that has always kind of been on the peripheral but really mm-hmm. is has never been explored to the extent that it does from here. Yeah. And from this moment you get you know these incredible stories of, you know, setting all new X-Men from Bendis aside, like the uncanny run that is with mm-hmm. with um Bendis Abaclo is incredibly strong. Mm-hmm. for all the choices and the weird characters that pop out of that gold balls like you get <laughs> yes. these characters that end up being becoming very important gold, gold balls is part of the five baby like he is <laughs> he is top tier now but like you also get these stories because this uh this event kicked off marvel now which That's is right, yeah. one of the best marvel oh, yeah. periods bar none. Well, for sure it's super strong yeah like yeah j- just for our for our listeners i'm going to rattle some stuff off hickman avengers comes out of this mm-hmm. the gillen young avengers run comes out of this we get uh the illuminati in hickman's new avengers we mm-hmm. get remender cap we get jason aaron's thor like all of this stuff was kickstarted by avengers versus x-men and it's That's right it's probably I forgot, yeah. one of my favorite like Marvel periods ever because there's just so much good that comes out of it. Um, a lot of people kind of, when they hear Marvel now, I think they think of Marvel now 2.0, which was just the dumbest thing and the exact that's opposite. After, that's after all new Marvel now, which is, and yep. then all, all new, new all, different. all different Marvel now, and then Marvel now 2.0, right? You, but, you think he's making these up. These are legit things. Bad. That's bad branding. It's bad. This is a long-standing company. It's been around for decades, more than half a century, and they can't figure out their branding with that. But is it as bad as DCU? Oh, oh. Well, DCU does have <laughs> your your favorite story, though. Uh, I mean, uh, super heavy. I mean, can you? I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> We um, if, if we want to go on another tangent about super heavy, super I'm there for just, it. <laughs> uh, Marvel now also has a fractions FF. Yes, uh, which he also did Fantastic Four, but his FF is really great. Um, gosh, what else? Looking through here, yeah, Avengers. 
what else? Uh, a superior Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, One of my favorite Spider-Man runs. Yeah, easily my favorite of the last several decades. Yeah, I, maybe the X-Men themselves aren't super strong during Which this run. Which is unfortunate because they had all all of the opportunity to like yeah. really do some damage when it comes to like big events. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, we get stuff like what was it the the dark mirror or something the black vortex black vortex, black vortex. that's what it is <laughs> my favorite uh, x-men event oh obviously. yeah everyone can't forget that everyone's favorite x-men and guardians of the galaxy events combined oh, kieran gillen's young avengers also in marvel now yeah um and then of course wade's uh, daredevil runs through it too mm-hmm. um yeah and honestly like the whole marvel now initiative was kicked off by Avengers versus X-Men. So you mm-hmm. want to talk about something that like really feels important and that's, you know, it fits the bill. Now it does have many problems, many yeah. problems, mischaracterizations, yes. reliance on the Phoenix over-reliance on the mm-hmm. Phoenix. There's a certain point where it feels like it should have ended and then, Oh no, we're getting the Phoenix five and like, right. That's right, because they they attack the Phoenix and split it, and then it goes into them, and then they all sort of they're banding together, and then they turn on each other. Which that was, I mean, that was the most interesting part. Is like there's still that great cover of, regardless of what happens in the actual issue, that great cover of uh, Cyclops and Emma, like just turning on each other, very reminiscent of Mm -hmm. the uh, the Harley and Joker Alex Ross cover. and the only thing, the biggest, th- you know, count against it for me is that kind of in the same vein as Age of Apocalypse, this was the peak. There was nowhere else to go after this. Like, this is as big as the X-Men could have gotten yeah. with the current status quo. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it almost, uh, some peaks there, um, it almost required Hawksbox to happen. Yeah, it, I feel like, I mean, Jonathan Hickman's whole thing with with um, Hawksbox was that like it's about building, right, right. and being additive versus destroying, killing off, being deconstructive, and um, which is so much of what has been has happened with the X Men, like after AVX, right? Turn people bad, turn things worse, kill off people, make them more desperate. Um, because IVX, IVX, yeah. I mean, it's just like there's so much of that that's like, yeah, and like, yeah, and then Battle of the Atom and and the original five was like, it felt like they were like a band aid, like a band aid that nobody wanted on all this sort of stuff because no one wants it. And there's a reason why, like, Bendis was like, no, like, don't you see the time stream is complete, they can never send them back. And then as soon as Bendis was gone, they were like, so we can send them back. They're going back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh. though, though that does culminate in, a, in one of my favorite moments of uh, War of the Realms, where Cyclops has all of his champions' memories. Wait, I don't remember this. Good things came out of this. Okay. Good <laughs> things did come out of this. We had um, basically. Here we go again. Um, during War of the Realms, champions were dealing with some stuff and they ran uh-huh. across Rosenberg, you know, run Cyclops, you know, okay. run Cyclops. And um, 
they're they kind of like run into each other and they're like battling frost giants and whatnot and um this is after you know young cyclops was sent back with the rest of the team back in the time stream and kamala's like after the battle like hey look uh you don't know me but like we were like a different version of you was really good we were really good friends and cyclops kind of turns to her and he goes like yeah of course i remember you like we were <laughs> we, we were champions and like this oh hit me right right in the stomach you know for for all of the weird changes that book went through that original um that original champions run i really really dug mm -hmm. yeah I, that's the the champions and everything they that they're still trying to do with them with like kamala's law or whatever i, yeah. I feel like they don't really know what they're doing with with all those because no. marvel marvel wants to pretend like it has like legacy but it doesn't right like dc more than dc well dc did for like years like decades and then wiped it all out and refused to like bring it back and that was the exciting thing about these scene what's been what was so frustrating about new 52 yeah and what's still so frustrating about it even like because they keep promising they're gonna do it and then they're not gonna do it you know uh wally you're the flash now I'm like prove it prove it die oh, barry by the way, prove it. oh by the way you're retired like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's frustrating. Yeah, because DC had that, and it's frustrating because they haven't reinstated it. Yeah. Whereas Marvel always pretends like they have it, but they never actually do it. Right. You know, they're like now we have, you know, multiple Spider Men, and we have, you know, uh, multiple Novas, and we have, you know, multiple, you know, Cyclopses, we have multiple what, whatever, because they they but just one Wolverine, which I think is odd. Yeah, you know, why would there be anyone else besides Laura Kinney as as a Wolverine? As... I mean, the, the, there's like her dad, but like, oh right, her dad. He, he runs know, around. He, he seems like a cool guy. He could be. Did you see that Tom Taylor was was teasing that he's writing Wolverine again? I have to take every single bit of Tom Taylor whenever he's not legitimately officially announcing something with a grain of salt because I know he's doing it just to hurt me. <laughs> but he's now finally writing Superman. He's going to be and I know it's it's Connor but he's doing Superman. It's not Connor, it's John. Oh, it's John. Oh wait, it's John. It's older John, right? It's worse. Right. <laughs> no, I mean it's John, but still, but I, I mean, if anyone can make it work, it can be him. Absolutely. I'm not a huge fan of Tim's on art, but, mm -hmm. um, but I mean, it's, you know, it's, I, I have faith. I have faith in Taylor. That's, yeah. So and if, and yeah. we might get to, you know, that dark ages book that was teased and like free comic book day, 2018, 2019. Y'all oh. remember that, that, that Tom Taylor book that's supposed to be, you know, all the technology goes out in the Marvel universe. <laughs> oh, right. That just didn't, I thought that just came and went and I just didn't see it. It, it just no. hasn't happened. It was literally that, that free comic book day tease and then nothing. Yeah. And like, he's, oh he hasn't gosh. mentioned it. Anytime someone brings it up, he's like, yeah, it's cool. Oh gosh. That happens sometimes. I wish they wouldn't tease things that aren't like locked into place. Agreed. And sometimes they just fall through. Like the Blade's Daughter book. That was, remember oh, that? And it just didn't happen. And like, hey, what happened? They're like, nothing happened. Like, it just never got started. Um, if you're hearing a baby, that's on the listener's end. Just on the listener's end. Yeah. yeah. There, there's a baby in your house. 
there's a baby in your room wherever you're listening to this yeah make sure you treat that baby well yeah look out uh, for it because it needs your help <laughs> they always do until they don't <laughs> but um but yeah speaking of just like kind of stop starts it's it's this weird thing that the x-men have done just kind of wrapping up here like the x-men have the potential to have some incredible events and the x-men have the potential to have terrible events and sometimes they have really important events like they have stuff that shakes the status quo for better or for worse and sometimes it works out for the better like Avengers versus X-Men. It's not a good event, but it's important <laughs> in the way that it was kind of that last, at least for me, it was that last straw to be like, okay, look, we have gotten to the point where there is nothing, there is nowhere else for us to go. Like we need to just wipe the slate clean. And mm-hmm. even though it was a solid seven years before they ended up doing that, we're now yeah. getting this renaissance of x-men mm-hmm. content For and sure. x-men comics that are really making them feel like a big deal again yeah yeah it, it's it's that's one of the 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 perils of having your um line of comics being so like in its own corner yeah is that like what do you got to do to make it feel important still right you know because you know you want it to be its own thing and not necessarily like impacted by the larger universe. But then at the same time, if it loses its way, like then it loses all importance, which it did for like a long time, you know, a long time, um, multiple times. Yeah. Multiple times. <laughs> it happens like, but then when it's hot, it's so hot. Like everyone's so excited about X-Men right now. And, you know, there's been plenty of times before too, when people are just get so excited about X-Men and, you know, they're, they just have so much, you know, mythology and history and so many interesting characters and interesting themes that you can go back to that, like, you might lose the thread for a little bit, but if, it, you know, someone comes along that has a great idea, you know, and they go with it, like, and they, they're able to, to really make something of it, then it's, it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely agree. And it's, it's the strangest thing about the X-Men is that they, for the most part throughout their history, they parallel comics in general. Like Mm. a lot of times when comics are doing really good, X-Men's doing really good, Mm. vice versa. Yeah. Like you see these great, you know, these iconic runs of the X-Men and iconic events are all kind of around the times that comics are really doing well. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny to see also the flip side of that, where you get these like nonsense events with these nonsense, you know, X-Men fighting vampires like i can't get over that i'm sorry but like (laughs) during this time where it's like yeah we're kind of like we're still figuring out what this this current era of comics is gonna be and like it's a good it's a good i think uh a good uh indicator of yeah how good marvel comics is in kind of the same way and even though i will i will never ever forgive bendis for his superman run he said something very profound when he first came to the company where he was like dc comics does really well when superman is doing really well and i stand by that i think you're that, saying like, he's a sleeper agent working for marvel technically oh still god <laughs> come to destroy the distinguished competition oh no and then go <laughs> back and bring the original x-men back into current current continuity yeah he's like krakoa dead everyone on there is dead 
Only the original five remain. <laughs> and I'm also doing a prequel comic. It's now the 60s, and I'm going to rewrite uh, Kirby and Lee's stories. They're now oh, Bendis God. stories. They're now oh, the, great. the Bendis oh, men. The Bendis men. Oh, God. Everyone speaks in extra long speech bubbles that take up an entire page. <laughs> but also in half sentences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Let's go for but, it. Uh, Matt, this is always a pleasure, man. Like, yeah, it's, it's great talking to you. It's good having you on the podcast whenever we're able to get those contracts to really sing. Um, <laughs> Any final thoughts on the X-Men kind of as a whole and anything that you're excited to see kind of going into this next uh, X-Men era? Yeah, I mean, I think what's fun about the X-Men is while there is like all this complicated mythology and lore and all these characters relationships, like if if you just get the right recommendations, whether you're, you know, you're a fan or not, or you're looking to get into them for the first time or just get back into them, there's so many amazing stories over the years um, that you can just pop into and out of, you know, pretty well, as long as you're, you, you know, it's the right starting point. Right. Um, there's tons you can skip and not have to worry about, as we talked about with a lot of events that weren't important or that completely forgettable or bad um, that you don't have to worry about. <laughs> Blood ties. Uh, <laughs> child's play. <laughs> child's play. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Uh, yeah, let's go with that. It's called child's play um yeah but and then everything can range it doesn't everything can range from like events to like single issues um you know some of the best stuff that i read over last year was going back and rereading like barry windsor smith's uh, weapon x yeah uh, which apparently that dude just like made on his own uh without marvel's permission was like hey i made this you want to run it and they're like oh okay really wow <laughs> yeah because he wasn't gonna be able to get permission with it so he just did it on his own or uh, Barry Windsor Smith and Chris Claremont's single issue, uh, Wounded Wolf from Uncanny X-Men, mm-hmm. um, which is a extremely injured uh, Wolverine and a member of Power Pack in a, in a blizzard fighting uh, Lady Deathstrike and her, uh, her posse. Um, just a single issue. I was like, wow, this rules. You got to read it. Read, look up <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll, Wounded I'll Wolf. Wounded I think it's the, fir- it's the first Lady Deathstrike issue. Um, it's super good. Uh, honestly, whenever uh, uh, BWS jumps jumps in, it's like Claremont's like, "Yeah, come come in because you're awesome." But um, but there's so many like interesting runs, and you know maybe the events sometimes get lost in their own like big, you know, bombastic like action. But a lot right. of the uh, the ideas still remain in the X Men events. Um, sometimes a lot of superhero comics when they get to events like they kind of forget about what made their solo runs interesting before the event. But at least with the X-Men, I feel like a lot of them still like have the major themes at play for sure. Even when they go crazy. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Matt is always a pleasure. If our listeners want to uh, get in touch with you, talk about how much you hate Cyclops for the bits um, (laughs) and kind of keep up to date with what you're doing. uh, Where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on my YouTube channel, which is just Matt Draper. Um, I'm doing less comic books than ever this year because <laughs> I, I was like, these things take too long. I just want to talk about horror movies and big monsters. So, but there will be comic books again. I don't and, know. And, when. and some of those, some of 
the recent stuff I've I've absolutely adored. Like I've oh, never thanks. been a Godzilla guy, but like Matt's Matt knows what he's talking about with this. It's with so fun. breaking it down for people who might not be as like into or familiar with Godzilla. So it, check I've out had, for sure. I, thank you, thank you, Eric. I, I've had a lot of fun talking about Godzilla, and then I'm on Twitter, uh, Matt Draper YT, standing for YouTube. Uh, I'm on there. Uh, usually, um, yeah, in the YouTube, because I'm on YouTube. Oh, um, yeah, it makes you think. Uh, I'm usually on there talking about horror movies, comic books, uh, berating my fellow YouTubers for not being as good as me. <laughs> um, the, I, I love that it started like, like fairly passive aggressive last year and has gone into full blown like I can fight anyone and beat but them when it comes to the comic tuber community <laughs> <laughs> yeah why not i mean just let's declaring just open it. warfare we're, oh, we're gonna have we're gonna have matt nito war just matt look for nito. it oh, yeah look for it it will it'll you'll think it means a lot and then a year later you'll have forgotten that it happened <laughs> matt matt draper the 12 <laughs> matt draper the 12 there's you want to talk about license to print money there it is <laughs> I'm going to merge with, with Eric at the end. We're going to have one eye. We're going to have one eye, which, which seems like, seems like a weakness, but is actually a strength. Just let me explain it to you. Because it draws power from the punch dimension. That's true. That's true. I love, I love that punch dimension. It's so dumb, but I love it. Oh my gosh. Well, thanks for having me on Eric. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Bring me back. Feel free to bring me back. <laughs> Did you see? Okay, go back to the last episode that Matt was on. It was the December episodes. Two of my favorite episodes of the entire podcast I've ever done. Oh, thanks. But um, he has now made the jump with his contracts that he can be more aggressive with his requests. Like last time, I was like, "Hey, man, you know, whenever you want to talk about more comics, just feel free to have me on." And this one was like, "You, you're bringing me back on." <laughs> we're we're gonna do this again, and it's like okay, yeah, 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 yeah I know. <laughs> it's just slowly creeping into the the, the podcast, just, just kind of slowly taking it over. Yeah, get get ready for uh, drape splained. That's uh, that's what the podcast will be soon becoming. <laughs> terrible, terrible branding. That's that's <laughs> worse than all new, all different Marvel now two <laughs> All new, all different drape splained two Age of X Men. Oh, uh, there we go. Podcast dedicated to the age of X-Man comic. Oh, all right. That's it. <laughs> End of podcast. <laughs> Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books for the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, honestly, it was kind of a toss-up between two books that I really, really enjoyed. Um... So, because it's my show, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna make it. Uh, there's two picks, two picks of the week from last week. The first was, of course, the DC Superhero Asian Celebration. Uh, just a ton of good stories with awesome creative teams featuring some great characters. There's a story in there which features both Keenan Kong and Connor Hawk in one story. Like, come on, 
give me more of that. It was so good, and right alongside that, I had Heroes Reborn, Hyperion, and the Imperial Guard number one. Um, this one, written by Ryan Cady, with art by uh, Michelle Bandini and Stephen Byrne. Um, I loved the hell out of this. This was very much a uh, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes pastiche, which... It really, I, what I love so much is that, you know, yes, Heroes Reborn was an awful, awful thing for several hundred different reasons. But this version of that event, you know, featuring this new world where the Avengers never existed, uh, Hyperion and the rest of the Squadron Supreme have all of these different backstories, is super fascinating. I loved everything about this issue. We even got a Star Jammers backup, you know, a preview for Star Jammers number one. I just... I loved it. It came with this hilarious letters page as well. Uh, such a good comic. Both of them absolutely worth your time. If you didn't pick them up, go back, check them out. But that's last week's books. And I'll be honest, we've had some uh, we've had some big weeks. So I am very excited to sit back, relax with a couple of Oh, dear Lord, there's 12. We've got 12 books for you this week, a dozen books to check out. Let's not waste any more time. Let's go ahead and jump into the list, starting with Heroes Reborn, Magneto, and the Mutant Force number one. This is written by Steve Orlando with art by Bernard Chang, and this is your... Heroes Reborn X-Men book. So I'm very excited. Let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Can Magneto resurrect hope for mutant kind before it's too late? Years ago, Magneto and Professor X led Earth's mutants in a final push for independence against the Squadron Supreme of America. What followed was the Squadron's Mutant Massacre, a violent rebuttal that left mutant kind forever wounded and Xavier dead. Or so Magneto thought. Years later, Magneto discovers Xavier clinging to life in the astral plane and gathers his allies for a first-of-its-kind rescue mission. Too bad the same mission puts the mutant force back on the squadron's radar. Failure means the last gasp of mutant kind, but success means the first breath of something even more elusive to the mutants of Heroes Reborn. Hope. So, yeah, uh, this sounds awesome. I love this. Uh, the cover is also super dynamic. I'm, I just, I'm loving all of these tie-ins. They're really, really fun. Uh, next up. Again, on the Marvel side, we have Way of X number two. This is written by Simon Spurrier with art by Bob Quinn. This is this is awesome. I, I love this book. The Just the choice to have Nightcrawler dealing with the idea of death, dealing with all of the, you know, very complicated concepts uh, that the Hickman era of X-Men has brought up. I'm super into it. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. A Villain Revealed the dark force hiding within Krokoa begins to show its true form. The answers are hidden within the mindscape. Kurtz and others, one of the most dangerous mutants, is reborn. I have to assume this is Legion. I have to assume they are going to resurrect Legion. This is the spot to do it. I don't know that for certain, but I'm very excited to see where they go with this. Next up, we have Captain America, number 29. This is written, of course, by Donahasi Coates with art by Leonard Kirk. And we are very quickly shaping up into the, I'm assuming, conclusion of, you know, the Coates Captain America run. It sure seems like it. We still don't have, like, a, um, a new creative team announced. We know that this 
uh, this series is, I'm assuming, going to go to issue 30. Then we're going to get the uh, uh, United States of Captain America. And then who knows where the Captain America book will go. But I'm very excited. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. As all die young races to its climax, Cap faces overwhelming odds as he battles to vanquish the Red Skull and the Power Elite. Short, sweet, to the point. Super good. Very excited to check this out. Next up, we have a book that I'm, I've am i been very excited about. This is Fantastic Four Life Story number one. This is written by Mark Russell with art by Sean Izakse. I love the life story treatment. Uh, you can go back and hear me cry about the story <laughs> if you go back in the archives. I'm very excited. It. I was worried, and I was, I think, pretty open about how worried I was that we didn't have the returning team of uh, Zdarsky and Bagley, but I love this creative team. I'm very excited to see where they go with this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. In the tradition of Spider-Man life story, and in celebration of the FF's 60th anniversary, comes this series setting the lives of the fabulous foursome in real time across the years. Amid the backdrop of the Cold War and the Space Race, a terrible accident gives the Fantastic Four great powers, a terrible secret, and entangles them in the history of their planet. So again, I don't know exactly what... Uh the continuity of this is going to be. I don't know if it's going to be in the same continuity as Spider-Man Life Story. I'm okay if it's not. But if they do choose to do that, I think it'll be really interesting. Super looking forward to this book. Next up, we have The Flash, number 770. This is written by Jeremy Adams with art by Jackson Herbert and Brandon Peterson. Um, This, I love this cover already. It's got my boy Jay Garrick. This is continuing on the Wally West jumping from speedster to speedster uh, storyline. We still don't know why this is happening. We still don't know what the crux of this whole thing is, but I'm very excited to find out. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Dropped into the battlefields of World War II, Wally West continues to search for a way home. As the fastest man alive comes face to face with the Fuhrer himself, Wally's friends in the present day search for a way to bring him back and an answer to why he's stuck leaping from speedster to speedster throughout time. Oh, I stumbled a little bit there on that last but but we're good. But I'm very excited. I, you know how much I love World War II. You know how much I love Jay Garrick and the Justice Society. And you know how much I love Wally West. So this is an easy pickup for me. Next up, we have The Mighty Valkyries number 2. Written by Jason Aaron and Torun Gronbeck. With art by Erica D'Urso and Mattia Deilis. I loved the first issue. So freaking good. Um, the dual narrative between Jane and our new Valkyries. Valkyrie is really, really cool, so I'm looking forward to picking this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The mystery of the newest Valkyrie unfolds. The biggest new addition to the Marvel Universe finally fulfills a promise years in the making. On the planet of Perdita lives an ancient power, imprisoned, leashed. Valkyrie goes to free it and herself. And she must work quickly, for back on Midgard, Jane Foster has fallen into the sights of Craven the Hunter. The killer stalks a beast from another plane, one whom Loki claims threatens the lives of every mortal. But there is more to this creature than meets the eye. Can the gaze of a Valkyrie reveal the secrets behind the wolf and his unearthly origin? 
So lots of intrigue in the first issue. Having Jane teamed up with Loki is awesome. I love this new Valkyrie. Very easily based off of the Tessa Thompson version from Ragnarok. Um, I love this. Really, really looking forward to uh, catching part two. Next up, we have another new number one, this being Wonder Girl number one. This is written and illustrated by Joelle Jones. Uh, I am excited for this. Very excited. I know that the hype for Yara Flora is kind of cooled for a little bit since the conclusion of Future State, but I am excited to see where she goes. I'm excited to see her adventures, how they play out, and really where we get you know, this new Wonder Girl. Where does she come from? What is the crux of her character? Why is she doing the things she does? So very much looking forward to this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The story of Yara Floor starts here. Raised in the far-off land of Boise, Idaho, Yara Floor has always felt something was missing from her life, and now she's headed to Brazil to find it. Little does she know her arrival will set off a series of events that will change the world of Wonder Woman forever. Her return has been prophesized, and with that prophecy comes the undivided attention of benevolent gods from pantheons beyond. L Danger lurks around every corner, but is this young hero ready for her journey? Find out in a debut issue you absolutely cannot miss. You think you know Wonder Girl, but you've never seen her like this. So yeah, really excited. Yara Floor is, like I said, the breakout star of Future State, so I'm excited to continue her journey with her origin. Next up, we have Heroes Reborn number three. This is written by Jason Aaron with art by Federico Vincentini. And I have been loving Heroes Reborn so far. Uh, there's still a lot of questions, a lot of unsolved answers. I'm very interested because the, uh, at least last issue, kind of set up that the Squadron Supreme doesn't know that the world's been changed either, which I think is fascinating. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis and see what's going on with part three. Race through the dread dimension. Chaos magic at Mark 5. Blur, the swiftest mortal alive, must win a race through the mind-bending dread dimension in order to save his soul from the hypersonic hexes of the speedster supreme, the Silver Witch. Plus, a backup tale takes us inside the dark secrets of the Ravencroft Asylum and its newest inmate, the Phoenix. That sounds awesome. I am super in for that. Um, a speedster battle through the dark dimension. That sounds super cool. Very, very much looking forward to this. Next up, we have Superman Red and Blue number three. This is written by Nick Spencer, Stephen T. Siegel, Jesse Holland, James Stokoe, and Michael Fief. With art also by Michael Fief and James Stokoe, as well as Christian Ward, uh, Duncan Rouleau, and Laura Braga. I've been loving Superman Red and Blue. It's been super good. Uh, didn't even mean to do that, but I really have been enjoying the two issues so far. I am specifically hoping I'm going to be able to pick up the uh, John Paul Leone variant cover for this. It is gorgeous. Um, I just, I've been loving this book. Give me more Superman. Feed it directly into my veins. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Five more incredible tales of the Man of Steel, told in an art style that pays tribute to his primary colors. In this issue, we take visits to both Smallville and the Fortress of Solitude. We look at an object that was important to Superman on his trip to Earth, and we see the lasting impact that has on those around him. Plus, punching. 
Someone has to take down the electro-mechano-organic intelligence they call Kilgore, but even he's nothing compared to the massive monster waiting in the farthest reaches of space. So that sounds really fun. Again, what I love about this anthology series so far is all of these stories are so varied from each other. So very looking forward to this for sure. Next up, we have Daredevil number 30. This is written, of course, by Chip Zdarsky with art by Mike Hawthorne and Marco Cicchetto. Uh, This is continuing the uh, Madison Prison Electra is Daredevil story, and they can keep this for a while. I love Electra is Daredevil. I love the stories that they're exploring with Mad in Prison. Uh, this is just, this is an all-time Daredevil run. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Doing Time, Part 2. As Electra gets her barons in Hell's Kitchen, Matt Murdock finds an unlikely ally in prison. Meanwhile, Wilson Fisk gets the phone call you've been waiting for. I have no idea what this phone call is, but I am very excited to find out. This is going to be great. Daredevil is an all-time great book right now. Cannot wait to pick this up. Next up, talking about all-time greats, we have Nightwing number 80, written by Tom Taylor with art by Bruno Redondo. This has been so good so far. I'm very excited to see where this goes. The hype has been real. And so far, at least for the first two issues, they have lived up to that hype. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Leaping into the light. Part three. Dick Grayson's always had a big heart. From protecting those persecuted by bullies in his youth, to combating evil alongside Batman as Robin, to pledging his newly inherited wealth to enriching Bloodhaven as Nightwing. His kindness and generosity have always guided his life. But now, a new villain stalks the back alleys of Bloodhaven, removing the hearts of the city's most vulnerable. Who is this terrifying new menace named Heartless? And will he be able to resist plucking out the biggest heart in all of Bloodhaven? Read this literally heart-wrenching issue to find out. So what I'm really excited about is that Taylor and Redondo are bringing in new rogues for Dick, which I'm excited about. I'm always down to get new rogues, new enemies to these established characters. Give it all to me. Very excited about this. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up is Shang-Chi number one. Written by Jilun Yang with art by DK Ruan. Get on this book. Get on this book right now. You need to be reading this book. I am so excited. This is continuing on from the miniseries that featured the same creative team alongside Philip Tan. Uh, This is really where we are going to get to see DK Ruan strut his stuff. He's getting the art duties all to himself, which I'm very excited about. I love his art. Gene Lun Yang, you already know how much I love him as a creator. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to read this book. I've also been getting some intel from a very good brother of mine that this first issue is incredible. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Shang-Chi versus the Marvel Universe. Shang-Chi and his family are back. And this time, they're colliding head-to-head with the Marvel Universe's biggest heroes. Shang-Chi has finally taken his place as the leader of the Five Weapons Society, but using an evil secret organization as a force for good won't be easy. 
And it's about to get a lot harder when Shang-Chi's fellow superheroes like the Amazing Spider-Man start to see him as the bad guy. Jean Lun Yang and DK Ruan return to bring you the next chapter of this Marvel legend. So yeah, the first issue, just in case you haven't seen it yet, um, features Shang-Chi just absolutely bodying the rest of the Marvel superheroes. <laughs> so I am very excited to pick this up. This is a big week for comics, and I'm really excited to read all these. So to recap, we have Heroes Reborn, Magneto and the Mutant Force number one, Way of X number two, Captain America number 29, Fantastic Four Life Story number one, The Flash number 770, The Mighty Valkyries number two, Wonder Girl number one, Heroes Reborn number three, Superman Red and Blue number three, Daredevil number 30, Nightwing number 80, and Shang-Chi number one. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geek Explained podcast and you like what I do here, please feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, subscriptions, they really help me out. They really help the podcast out with all the algorithm nonsense, really raises our stock in the podcasting space and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can join the likes of our Mighty Nine. That includes Seafire ND, Matt Draper, Josh from Panels to Pixels, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, Brian, Mouth Dork, and Dallas Meeks. I want to say a big thank you to all of these wonderful people for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. And if you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, if you have a question for me, you need a quick pitch, uh, maybe some recommendations that we haven't covered on the podcast yet, you can feel free to send emails to me to geeksplained at gmail.com. Just put mailbag in the subject header and I will read them here. Like our good brother Aaron Arancha, who sent us an email this week. Appreciate that, Aaron. Uh, it reads, hey Eric, how you doing? Doing well. Here back with another question and it's... This time, it's about anime, more specifically, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yes, I will always talk about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, he says, I vaguely remember you discussing in last year's anime, having watched a few episodes or having started the series. Anyhow, was just wondering if you had watched any more episodes or if you had any favorite episodes or seasons. Personally, I'm very much a Joseph supporter. I think his fights are so well-crafted, and it's a thrill waiting to see what his next move will be and how it will inevitably turn the tide of a battle. I I also have a list of favorite episodes, but due to not knowing if you have watched them yet, I'll just list the episode names, but no spoilers. At one, he has Darby the Gambler, parts one and two. Two, all of Joseph's arc, especially the final two episodes. And three, season three, episode 31, July 15th. Anyhow, that's my list off the top of my head in no particular order. Hope you're doing well, man, and I look forward to the podcast every week, especially this month's at may kind regards aaron well thanks again aaron for your email i appreciate it and yes i am very well versed in jojo's bizarre adventure i love all of the episodes you mentioned uh and honestly i am a joseph guy he is my favorite jojo out of all of the pantheon of jojos that we have um he's just he's dynamic he's a very dynamic character he's fun to watch uh he's you know, there's a reason that they brought him back for 
the following two seasons in some form or another. And he's just such a great character. And he really is at the height of his um, his character depth, his uh, comedy in season two. It's one of the best seasons of the entire show and really one of the best arcs of the entire franchise you know anime or manga uh my favorite though my favorite arc is uh part four i love me some morio i love it so much josuke is my guy um everything about that everything about it and i think you know someone mentioned it to me a while back and it's kind of stuck with me um this uh, part four of JoJo's is the most like is the most similar to Yu Yu Hakusho, which is my favorite anime of all time, um, and that's probably why I love it so much. But I I just I adore part four. I love everything about it. It's so fantastic. Part two is amazing. You know how much I love anything having to do with World War II and this being you know kind of in that same time period with characters like you know. A Joseph Joestar running through, um, meeting Caesar Zappelli. I just, I, I adore it. It's fantastic. Um, it's hard to think of. Um, I can't think of off the top of my head uh, some of my fa- the names of my favorite episodes. But I mean, pretty much anything that involves Josuke and Yoshikage Kira, you can bet is one of my favorites. Um, part three, Darby the Gambler is fantastic. That is a great two-part episode. Um, everything about that is so fun because you don't, you know, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, especially in part three, is very much a punch him up where he's in this, uh, in the, in these two episodes, it's all down to like a poker game and like trying to, uh, place coins inside of a, uh, inside of a glass without it, you know, overflowing. It's so fun and really gave the creator of the, uh, of the anime and the manga, you know, room to tell unique stories with these kind of, uh, non punch em up stand battles. So I love Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. If you haven't watched it or read it yet, do yourself a favor, do that. Um, these, all of the recommendations that Aaron gave are fantastic. Check them out. It's wonderful. You know, part two is the one that I usually, um, bring people to and if they're ever trying to get into the show or the manga uh just because i love it no you know no shade against phantom blood but i really love that arc and i love joseph as a character and for me just for me in my personal opinion i think he's a much better protagonist than jonathan was but that is it for the mailbag. Again, Aaron, thank you so much for writing in. Also, if you want to follow us uh, on social media, the Instagrams, the Twitters, if you want to keep up to date on the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, and just, you know, shoot the shit with me on the latest pop culture news, you can follow us at Pod. That's at P-O-D on Instagram and Twitter. And one last quick plug before I get out of here. We have a brand new series for the podcast. In case you missed it, we kicked off the Geeksplained book club last friday and it will be dropping every single friday with my good brothers malcolm russell nelson and jacob brown as we go through volume by volume the entire run of robert kirkman Corey walker and ryan otley's invincible we covered the first three volumes which roughly covers the events of season one of the show last friday go check that out if you haven't yet and this friday we're going to be covering volume four so 
tune in for that. Very excited. Invisible Fridays are continuing on. But that is going to do it for this week's episode in part three of X May. I hope you're enjoying X May. I'm loving it so far, getting to talk to all of these incredible people about just the best Marvel property. Like, it's it's crazy how good the X-Men are right now. Uh, they're the most dynamic thing going on at Marvel, and it's, um, it's just fun to be able to sit down and talk with everybody so far. And next week, for part four of X-May, we are rounding out the event with the book that started it. All. We're doing a special X-May edition of the Geeksplain Spotlight, where we will be covering Hoxpox, House of X, Powers of Ten, and taking a look at what the future holds for the Hellfire Gala and the Reign of Ten and Beyond. So tune in next week for that same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geeksplain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will... See you next time.